0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, the time has come. Welcome to my episode of the NBA 75 Greatest Prayers of All Time. In this episode, I'll be recording part one of my episode because when I did the whole thing, it came out to like four hours and 45 minutes. So I decided to split it into two parts. So that way it's not too long. But in this episode, I'm invading the first half of my 75 greatest prayers of all time up to like number 36. I hope you guys really enjoy it. We we're going to be talking about my NBA 75 list that came out a month ago, which is my biggest article yet on my website. Look at that in my podcast description, so you guys can check that link out. And that took me over a month to work on so I'm really proud of that. And in this episode, I've really worked hard on Over four hours of content, and I split it into two parts, so that way it's not too much in one episode. Um, and I'm also doing an NBA 75 series, where I'm making out each player, doing short little bios on where they're from a little bit of their careers and what they accomplished in their careers. I've done Miles lot so far, Tony Parker, um, James Worthy, and I have my next player coming, the Joe Sharp, so stay tuned for that as well. I hope you guys will check all that out, have any basketball fanatics out there, so out the websites, shout out the articles, podcasts, everything But without further ado, let's get into the NBA 75 list, part one, um, yeah, and enjoy these legendary modes of some of the most legendary players in the NBA history. Don't too many players get offers like me
1: What a block by Russell What a block by Bill Russell on
2: Chamberlain's dunk shot Incredible
1: Chamberlain has 96. 165 to 144, and Knowles makes the next one. The Warriors are now within eight points of the all time team total. Larissi with the ball down the right side passes to Chamberlain. He's open. He shoots his ball. 167 to 145. He has 98. Chamberlain steals the inbound pass. No good. Johnny Green has it. Down to Garen. Chamberlain stole the inbound pass and took a shot of in and out. New York with the ball. Into the backcourt now to Cleveland Bucks. Back to Garen. They're not taking the shots. They're eating upside. Garen is fouled by Luckendale. One minute and one second to play. Chamberlain at 98. He can make it easily. The Warriors are going to take time out, I believe. Garen's on the line. The Warriors now are within points of the all-time league record for most points in a regulation game, which is 173. Boy, records are busted out all over. Discussion now in the lane between referee Willie Smith, Richie Garen, and Joe Ruckley. Garen who's really jabbering. I don't know what he's arguing about. That's 29 in this quarter. That sets a new league record for a quarter for one man. The individual record for a quarter, 29 just broken by Chamberlain, that's his own record, it was 28, Garen on the foul line misses, one minute and one second to play, he has 98 points in professional basketball. I'll tell you, that's a lot of points if you're playing uh, grammar school kids, isn't it? Garen misses another, he's on the line again, here it is, it's up, it's good. 167 to 146. Now let's see if they found somebody quick. Rogers throws long to Chamberlain. He's got it. He's trying to get up. He shoots. No good. The rebound Luckenbill. Back to Chamberlain. He shoots up. No good. In and out. The rebound Luckenbill. Back to Luckey. In the out of the stand 46 seconds left, the most amazing scoring performance of all time, 100 points for the Big Zippers.
2: Five seconds left, Boston only has a one-point lead.
1: Greer's putting the ball on a play, he gets it out deep, deep and have a check, field.
2: it to Kareem. Sky hook up, and good! Lakers win! Score it! Kareem Rav jabbar has given the Los Angeles Lakers a victory, and Magic Johnson is out there celebrating like they just won the NCAA championship. It's 89-84, Sixers, and they get inside! Unbelievable! Julia Serving! Watch this fantastic move by the doctor. curious in the air, prominent over the right hand reaching and spinning it in. Incredible! Five seconds to go. Magic with a hook shot. Scores with two. And the Celtics trail by one with two seconds to go. There's a
0: team out there I
2: knew that the Knicks might want to trade him. Man, I'd sure be trying to get him. Great match. Oh! They're to taking it the length of the floor. To spread the Bulls defensively. Let's see if they wind it all the way down. Inside low. You can't double yet. Now you can quickly. Birds jumper. Good way. 3.6 seconds left. Larry Bird gives the Boston Celtics a two-point lead. The Celtics came down and executed beautifully. They ran off 13 seconds. And Bird nails the turnaround. Everybody in this building had to know what was going on. Michael came over to help out. If Scotty does anything he's got to stay in front of him and make that pass go over the top. He plays him behind. He gets the ball. Your job is over buddy. Bird for two. Celtics lead with 3.6 seconds here. 102 to 100.
1: Barnett comes out on LeBron. Now they switch and here's Pierce again. A Smith screen. Posey will defend. Oh! LeBron James with no regard for human life. Has given the Cavaliers their biggest lead tonight. inside. Oh, oh awesome. the green shade oh, oh, no. oh Elijah! Oh! Oh! <laughs> somebody call the police! He's killing somebody out there! The double-teamed O'Neill. Fisher, nice rotation of Bryant, buckle up for Coder! center what a play he might have just injured that shoulder a little bit more the windmill slam you realize how difficult oh. it is to do that that brought everybody out of
2: their seat <laughs> isaiah thomas is hurt down on the court underneath the basket i couldn't tell what happened and this is a tough one holding his right ankle billy eight point lead for the lakers thomas with the looper scores two on one thomas goes up and isaiah thomas having an incredible period and the thing about isaiah thomas he's limping on every play can you imagine the great performance maybe one of the best we've ever seen in one quarter in nba finals history they might try some kind of lob to the basket you've got to be prepared to switch so they can't get anything what you want everything going back towards half court Mo Williams will throw in. Rashard Lewis playing off the ball. Lewis gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes, LeBron James and the buzzer as the Cavaliers have pulled it out to tie the series and what a miraculous shot by James.
1: for the Cavaliers
2: by Lee Woodens. It is now being reviewed by video replay for the cover when the basketball third prior to the end of the quarter. LeBron James off the inbound. That's his first three-pointer of the night. How about this as a follow-up to the clutch shot by Hito Turgaloo. And the Cleveland Cavaliers, after blowing a 23-point lead, are indeed... Fortunate to come away with an incredible victory. Well Mark, you, you said I told you you wanted that ball going away from the basket. They forced him away. He caught it and made an incredible shot. That's, that's what MVPs do. Those kind of shots. And a shot like that can turn a whole series around. Instead of being down 2-0, you're now 1-1, riding an incredible momentum down to Orlando for Game 3. 103 left in overtime. 101 99 Here's Iverson. Blue, the defender. Stays right with him. Allen wants to go. Wants the baseline. Fade away. Yeah! He's way too good. He steps around Lou and Drulon, and the Sixers have scored nine in a row. Seven straight points by Iverson looked like he was dead in the water. The Sixers by four. Forty seconds left.
1: League MVP,
2: Defensive Player of the Year. Now it's time to add to your resume. NBA Champion. How does that sound? Man, I'm so I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible.
1: Anything's possible! Yeah. Yeah.
2: Kevin, such so, emotion. So, uh, it's all right. Don't apologize. This is for everybody in Soda. This for everybody in Chicago. VV, this is for everybody. South Cat, Basswood, my mama, Venus. See everybody while right now. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it. Top of the world. Top of the world with the Spurs foul. Should Miami go for the three right away? Just attack the basket. James catches, puts up the three. Won't go! Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History part of Bang!
1: Tie game with five seconds remaining. Look at the Cavs, 6 of 7 from the free throw line, 85%. This is a team that's 30th in the league, shooting 69% from the free throw line. Here's James.
2: He was looking for contact from Jermaine O'Neal. Got a piece of it. Wade, oh! A face-off! Yes! And the foul! Wayne Wade going right at Anderson
1: Barajal. Well, this is the reversal of Fortune. First, LeBron James tries to test Jermaine O'Neal and gets it sent back. And Dwayne Wade right at the body of Anderson Barajal. Welcome to your Kodak moment, Anderson Barazal.
2: They do have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry, way down Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! With six-tenths of a second remaining! The brilliant shooting of Stephen Curry continues. And he ties the NBA record with his 12th three-pointer of the game. Paul Pierce said that's why I'm here. The game winner. He's with Chris. Paul, Paul take us through
1: that last sequence. You know, Coach, Drew the playoff me, I've been in that situation millions of times, caught the ball in my sweet spot, and I just wanted to make sure we got the last shot. With no time.
0: Chump.
2: All right, the last one was easy, but this is going off the chimney, over the fence, hit the car window, all net. Yeah,
0: right, Jordan. Sure. All right.
2: Dang, that's what I'm talking about. Give up.
1: They're playing basketball. Oh. Oh, all around we the world. To the beach y'all. Let's go. All around the world, y'all yeah, know this is so, so bad. It's gonna be a beautiful day of yes,
2: basketball here today, fuzz. We're not talking about just regular basketball. Oh, we are talking about street, ball. Street, street ball. ball. street ball will be played today. And coming into the court right ball, now, ball. man, Bow Wow and his teammates. right now, right now. Bob. Hey. What's hey. up, Hey,
0: hey. All right now. He a way better player.
2: Now basketball is my favorite sport uh-huh. I like the way they dribble up and down the court I keep it so fresh on the microphone I like no interruption when the game is on, on. I like slam dunk to take me to the hoop yeah. My favorite play is the alley-oop uh-huh. I like the pick and roll, go. I like the give and go. go And it's basketball, bow out, wow, let's go
1: let's uh-huh. All around let's the world Oh, jeez, oh, oh, yeah. beautiful dunk
2: Got the rock in my hands. Ain't no telling what I'm going to do with it. When okay. I got possession, I'm, I'm going to act a fool with it. Ahead. I might cross you up and fake one way. Turn around and hit you with the MJ fade away. Woo. I'm throwing passes like J-Kid. Taking uh-huh. catch to the rack and uh-huh. I'm dunking on them like See, mac uh-huh. When I'm in the plan, I play with that Ronzo style. I'm like Darius because I can see too many miles. players
1: get offers like me. Uh-huh. But back and forth I uh-huh. likely. Shake the checks uh-huh. off your Nikes. Okay. They almost had me in a suit at the drive because it looked like a free throw. And I'd be shooting from half the first step like Iverson. Blow past you. Usually nothing but net. But I could go blast too. When I'm in the paint, the defense so shook. They don't know if I'ma put up a slow hook or dish up for no love See, my game consists of a whole lot of moves you would think I learned from the Harlem Globetrotters. JD gonna lead us to a ring. Fab and Bow Eyes, the only players that make cheerleaders wanna sing. Yeah, put it up, put it up, put it up, put it up now. Put it up, put it up, put it up now. Put it up, put it up, put it up now. Yeah. Were you in the joint, uh-huh. the night, MJ? Scored 63 points when the Lakers won titles back-to-back yeah. Didn't give nobody no kind of slack When Vince Carter came, stuck his arm in the rim Everybody went crazy in the whole damn gym uh-huh. Kimbe Mutombo standing tall oh. Playing D with desire, his basketball Sing hey,
0: So nice we gotta play that. Down, now let me show you what's going on All right, right here, man. See, that's not a finger roll, that's what you call it. Finger roll. Finger roll. You gotta sing yeah. it like that, man. My uh-huh. daddy told me that before he left the family.
1: Yeah. The reason why they won, why ladies that? and gentlemen, because they had more points. More points, that's
0: a side I t- So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into it. Man, this is my favorite article I've done i probably will ever do of of the 75 greatest players of all time in nba history because i love the sport of basketball it's my favorite sport i've loved it since i was five years old and i just love the history of the nba and it's great players i don't even have i don't even i'm not even a team guy like i don't have a team i just like great players from like lebron james kevin durant steph curry Giannis, in today's game to legends that are retired like kobe bryant garrett's soul Tim Duncan, Michael Jordan, Magic Bird, Wilt Russell, Shaq, Hakeem, George Mike, yeah, and like the list goes Alan Iverson, the list goes on and on. And now I'ma I'm gonna I'm a do it like this. So I'm gonna name 75 to 50, and then 50 to 25, and then 25 to 1. And some of the picks, I'm gonna explain why I had this guy over this guy. Because some of you are like, wait, what? Wait, whoa, no way. <laughs> no way, I would put. But um, yeah, and then stay tuned for the visual. I'm going to put a YouTube video out uh, when I do my top, either my top 10 or top 25, I'll do a YouTube video and I'll put it in the link description and I'll put my 75 Greatest Players article link in this description as well. And y'all better go tune into that. That is some, as a masterpiece right there. I'm not even kidding. I worked so hard on that. What I'm going to to do, I'm going to name the players and then we're going to get into a little, t- a little bit about them. So 75, we got Majinobili. 74, James Worthy. 73, Tony Parker. 72, Bill Sharman. 71, Dennis Rodman. At 70, I had Sam Jones. 69, I had Carmelo Anthony. 68, I got um, Hal Greer. Um, and then 67, I got Nate Thurman. 66, Pete still Pete Maravich. He was a wizard with the ball. 65, I got Jerry Lucas. 64, I got Bill Walton. 63 Nate Archibald, Nate Tiny Archibald. 62 I got T-Mac, Tracy McGrady. 61 I got Damian Lillard, Dame Time. 60 I got Reggie Miller, the Nick Killer. 59 I got Dennis Johnson. 58 I got Ray Allen, Jesus Shuttlesworth. 57 I got George the Iceman Gervin. 56 I got Dwight Howard. They did it wrong on the official list. They didn't even put the man on the list. Crazy. 55, I got Paul Arison. 54, I got Wes Unseld. The outlet man. At 53, I got Walt Clyde Frazier. 52, I got Bob Cousy. 51, I got Dolph Shays. And at 50, I got Dominique, the human highlight film, Wilkins. So, first we're going to get 75. 75, I had Manu Ginobili. And I was really, deb- like, 75, I, like, the last, like, 10 spots, it was hard for me to get these guys in order because I was really debating. At first, I didn't have Majinobi on my list. I had Clay Thompson on my list. I didn- and then initially, I forgot all about Carmelo Anthony. And then I was like, oh, no, how did I have Melo on this list? He's definitely top 75 at this current point in NBA history. Klay Thompson didn't, he just missed my list. And I'm going to get into my honorable mentions at the end of this podcast. But it was really between Klay and Manu for that 75 spot. And I was like, I was like, damn, Klay, Klay missing those two years to Achilles, the Achilles injury that kept him out last season. And then the torn ACL that kept him out the first year he was out, he missed two years of his prime that really hurt his chances. He could have added two more all-star appearances, some more nba and some more all-defensive selections. If he wouldn't, I'm telling you, Klay Thompson didn't make the official list either, and he was mad about it on social media. He said he feels in his mind he's top 75 of all the time, and he has the right to feel that way. If Klay Thompson did not get injured, ladies and gentlemen, he would have been top 75. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. There's no way this man wouldn't have been top 75. Um, but I think those injuries, for me as well, just as the official voters, I think that's what pushed him out of my top 75. He just missed it. But getting to 75 now, Juan he's the Argentinian scientist who was a savant on the basketball court with his wild passes, crafty handle, and clutch shooting ability when his team most needed. I had Ginobili here because he was a big part of those four um, Spurs championship teams in 03, 05, 07, and 2014. And he's arguably the greatest 6 man of all time. He was a fierce driver to the rim and helped popularize the Eurostep, which is what every player uses now, a la James Harden. He had an up-tempo, aggressive style of play that was a work of art to watch on the floor. He would try no-look passes that would get Greg Popovich out of his seat screaming like, What are you doing, Manu? And that would sometimes get him benched, and it would make him pull his hair out. But overall, Manu Noble, he was a clutch player who never feared the big moment. He was a team player and a cold-blooded assassin. He was one of two players— Along with Bill Bradley to win the Euro League, an Olympic gold medal, and an NBA championship ring, Ginobili was also the Batman of the 2004 Argentinian gold medal team that embarrassed the USA, making them settle for just a bronze medal. I know it's the NBA, but that's a big deal. You beat the USA squad as the best player in Argentina. That doesn't really produce NBA superstars. You were the lone star on that team. Come on now, and that and that 04 USA team had. Young LeBron had D. Wade, Carmelo Anthony, Allen Iverson, Tim Duncan. Those are all top, what, fifty players of all time. Tops. Well, everybody except Carmelo is, and that on that I just named is top twenty-five, thirty of all time. That is insane. He beat that team. Him, Duncan, and Park. Tim Duncan and Park, Tony Parker, formed the winningest trio in NBA history, and they never won less than fifty games in a season with all three of them together. He's a two-time All-Star, two-time on-base selection, the sixth man of the year back in 2008, and he has his number 20 retired by the Spurs and number five retired by the CABB. Um, He also is a EuroLeague champion, a Finals MVP, EuroLeague Finals MVP in 2001, a two-time Italian League MVP in 01 and 02, and a host of other international awards. He He was the brilliant Einstein Argentinian mastermind on the court due to his unmatched IQ, wizardry passing, slick handle, and fearlessness in the clutch. And it was really tough for me to put him over Clay. Clay's the better defender and shooter. But Manu, he was pretty much better at everything else. Way better ball handler. His playmaking was elite. It was perfection, basically. He knew how to make his teammates better. And he knew how to get guys in the right spots. And he made some amazing passes. He was one of the best passers I've ever seen. He was tremendous. And imagine if he got to play in a bigger role where he could have had even more accolades. But no, he sacrificed for the team, for the betterment of the team to win. And he was a big part of why the Spurs were so successful. So I had him at number 75. At number 74, now I had James Worthy. I had him over Manu because I think he was even a better player. Even though he was a third string guy, like a third option, like Manu was. But I feel like he was even better. Um He was known as Big Game James because when the pressure was on in big games, he delivered just like Manu Ginobili. He, was, he brought athletic skills and clutch performances to the showtime Los Angeles Lakers during their heyday of the 1980s as a versatile small forward. He was the number one pick back in the 1982 draft, and he was an instant fit for that Lakers team being a main target for Magic Johnson on the fast break, filling in the lanes perfectly, making for a dangerous offensive attack. He did not become a full-time star- starter for the Lakers until his third season in 1984-85, where the Lakers would vanquished their longtime rival, the Boston Celtics, that had Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, and Dennis Johnson, four Hall of Famers, for the first time in the Finals in franchise history. His smooth athleticism and efficient scoring earned him seven consecutive All-Star appearances, tied for six months with Shaq with the Lakers. Um, with the Lakers' first back-to-back titles at stake in 1988, big game James stepped up in heroic fashion, amassing 36 points, 16 rebounds, and 10 assists. Performance that cemented his nickname of Big Game James. He's a three-time champion, Finals MVP in 1988, a two-time All NBA selection, and a member of the 50th and 1975, the 75th anniversary team. Excuse me. He also has his number 42 retired by the Lakers, and is among the most clutch players in league history. James worthy or Manu? I could have gone any either way, but I just think James worthy. Um, he doesn't have as many titles as Manu. But he played a I feel like he was a better player, like accolade wise. He has a finals MVP. Manu Jinoli doesn't have a finals MVP. Even though you could make an argument he should have that finals MVP two thousand five against the Pistons where he balled the hell out. Um but Tim Duncan, you know, was gonna get that. You know they're gonna get the Tim Duncan. Let's be real. He's the greatest power forward of all time. <laughs> but um yeah, big game James. Um he's a, and he's a two time on base selection. I think just like Manu. I think, yeah, Manu Manu had uh yeah, two time on base selection. But I think that founds MVP is for me why I put James Worthy over Manu. Um now Tony Parker at 73. He was a key part of the Spurs big three along with Duncan and Ginobili as the winning of his trio ever. He was a twisting blur, being one of the fastest guards ever in his prime, and he was a fierce he had a fierce spin move. He had one of the craziest spin moves ever. It was so fast, so quick in his prime, you could not stop him. When he got that spin move down, you couldn't I don't care who you were, you were not stopping him. Um, He was one of the fastest guards in his prime. He popularized the spin move. He was known for getting to the paint and his classic teardrop shot. He was one of the great slashing guards. He even led the league in points in the paint in 2005-2006. And he was never a great three-point shooter, but he would eventually develop a nice mid-range game to become an even tougher guard for his opponents. He played in a great era of point guards, such as Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, Chris Paul, and Stephen Curry, just to name a few. But he won more titles than all of them with four. At this moment, Steph Curry could get his fourth this year if the Warriors win the title this year. But as of right now, Tony Parker has more titles to his name than all those guys do. Um, he even won the Finals MVP in 2007 after beating the LeBron-led Cavaliers in a sweep where he averaged 24.5 points, five rebounds, and 3.3 assists per game, on um, 56.5% shooting from the field, and he was a plus 16 when on the floor. He's not only a champion, but he's also a six-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA selection, and this has his number nine retired by the Spurs. He didn't make the official NBA 75 Greatest Players list, but here he makes it on mine as the number 73 on my 75 greatest players of all time. Um, he has a Finals MVP just like James Worthy. He has more title, he has one more title than James Worthy. Um, he was the number two option on that team. It, him or Manu, I feel like they flip-flopped number two, number three. But I feel like Tony Parker um was the number two option on those O five championship winning teams, 07. And uh, 2014, I think he was the number two option, um, basically, um, behind Duncan and then, like, behind Kawhi. He was the number two option on those teams, and he was just deadly. Um, and he was an all-star, what, how many times was James Worthy an all-star? Six times? They were about all-star around the same t- same amount of times. He has more on selections. selections, um, so... Interesting, the era that had tremendous point. You have Steve Nash, Chris Paul, Jason Kidd. Those are all top 10 point guards of all time. Stephen Curry, who's the second greatest point guard of all time. And you got at least squeezed in four on-base selections. I got to give him kudos there. Bill Sharman, number 72. Few have had the success Bill Sharman has had as a player and a coach. But as a player, he was one of the best shooters and an all-NBA performer in his playing days with the Boston Celtics. He was a shooting guard for the Celtics, and he was arguably the greatest shooter of his era. He was one of the first NBA guards to push his field goal percentage above 40% for a season, which he did from 1952 to 1961. And he still ranks among the top free throw shooters of all time with a spectacular 88% career mark. He's a former baseball and basketball star at USC who signed a minor league baseball contract with the Brooklyn Dodgers back in 1950. But later that year, the Washington Capitals drafted him in the second round of the NBA draft. And for the next five years, he played both sports. Talk about an elite athlete. Um, Even though he was unable to break into the majors, he left baseball altogether in 1955 and he was traded to the Celtics before the 1951-52 season, where he would team up with star point guard Bob Cousy for a decade to form one of the most formidable backcourts ever. Him and Cousy will help the Celtics win four championships in 1957 and 1959-61, where he averaged um, 18.5 points per game, 3.7 rebounds, and 2.6 assists per game in the playoffs from 1952-1961. to He also is a four-time champion, an eight-time All-Star, one All-Star MVP in 1955, a seven-time All-NBA selection, and has his number 21 retired by the Celtics. Kuzi I had over the guy so far that I've named um, because he was an All-Star more times than those guys. He's a four-time champion just as much as Tony Parker and Ron Ginobili and one more championship than Worthy has. And he has seven on base selections. Yes, the talent might not be as good, but I'm objective in my rankings. I try to give credit to what guys did during their time because you can't control when you're born or whatever you played in. We don't have time machines here, ladies and gentlemen, so let's keep it real. But it's being a seven time on base selection and playing one for one of the most storied franchises in all of, not just basketball history, sports history. And the Boston Celtics and so you're among the greatest players of all time in that franchise's history. I gotta give you kudos and you have to make this list. So Bill Sharman is number seventy-two on my seventy-five greatest players of all time. At seventy-one, we have the Worm, Dennis Rodman, as they call him. He was one of the ferocious rebounders in NBA history. He was a menace on the boards. Seemed to have like a GPS route in his mind of where the ball was going off every single missed shot. It was insane how great he was at rebounding, despite his slender six-foot-seven frame. In an era with dominant big men and physical play, where you had big men like Shaq, you had Robert Parrish, you had David Robinson, you had Akeem Olajuwon, he went up against, you had Kareem Adujabar. He went through, he went against tall, big man, giants. And he was arguably a better rebound than all of them. He was a big part of five championship-winning teams: the Bad Boy Pistons and went back-to-back in 89 and 90, the Bulls' Dynasty of the 90s during their second three-peat in 96 to 98. He was someone who. Guard the opposing team's best offensive player and make their night a living hell. He was also a polarizing and one of the most peculiar colorful characters in NBA history from wearing a wedding dress disguised as a woman to dyeing his hair various different colors to going out to Vegas in the middle of the season. Shout out to you, Phil Jackson. (laughs) Yo, that last dance documentary was wild. (laughs) Anyways, Rahman was a true warrior who didn't care about the flashiness of scoring, he wanted to do the dirty work. On the less glamorous side of the floor, everybody wants to play offense nowadays. Nobody really wants to play defense. Defense is less glamorous, not as fancy. But Rodman made that popular. He wanted to do the dirty work, uh, and he made his legacy on that end of the court. He became a Hall of Famer by being a great rebounder and defender. He wasn't a scorer. He only averaged like six point or seven points per game for his career. He's a five-time champion, two-time All-Star. He won back-to-back Defense Player of the Year awards in 1990, 91. He was a two time All NBA 13 selection and an eight time All Defensive selection. He was also a seven time rebounding champion with an insane six consecutive year stretch of leading the league in rebounds at six foot seven in the League of Giants. That also had Alonzo Morning as well, along with Patrick Ewing, Elijah Shaq, the Admiral, and so forth. Talk about effort and hustle. That is not easy to do, ladies and gentlemen. He helped change the game and show you don't need to be a flashy scorer or offensive player to be a great player in this game, but showed that hustle, heart, and playing hard on defense and crashing the boards can help teams win titles and lead to a Hall of Fame career. He helped pave the way for guys like Ben Wallace, who will come later, who's become a, he was a Hall of Fame inductee this year. He followed in the footsteps of Dennis Rahman. He was a great defender as well. He won fourth defense player of the year's Ben Wallace and won a championship on that 0-4 Pistons team. And Draymond Green, now on the Warriors, who's been a three-time champion, perennial all-defensive type player, been an all-star three times, and he's won the Defensive Player of the Year as well. So salute to the worm on changing the game of basketball, man. He might not have been the offensive player that Bill Sharman, Mount Ginobili, Tony Parker, and James Worthy were, but what he did on the rebounding and defensive side of the ball, he's top five all-time in rebounding. He like In terms of rebound, he might not be top five statistically in rebounding history, in NBA history. But in terms of rebound, rebounders in NBA history, he's a top five rebounder in NBA history. I don't care what anyone says. If you want to name, name your top five rebounders in NBA history, these are names you cannot um, exclude. Bill Russell's there. Bill Wolf Chamberlain's there. And Dennis Rodman. Those are three that are automatics. Automatics on that list. Um. So, yeah. And he won five chips. And he was a big reason why those teams won chips. If it wasn't for his defensive rebounding, I'm sorry. But those both teams do not have a three-peat without Dennis Rodman. I don't care how great Michael Jordan is and Scottie Pippen. Without Dennis Rodman, they do not three-peat that second three-peat. And then those Pistons teams do not win back-to-back without Dennis Rodman. i getting, just it. being factual here. Let's be real. So at number 70, I got Sam Jones. Before Jerry West, Sam Jones was not one known as Mr. Clutch by many of his peers. And he was an integral part of those nineteen sixties Celtics dynasty teams. His uncannily accurate bank shots, lightning quickness, and cool demeanor helped the Celtics win ten NBA championships from nineteen fifty nine to sixty-six and in nineteen sixty-eight to sixty-nine. And in twelve years he played with the team. His ten NBA titles ranked second all time behind only to his Boston teammate, Bill Russell. He was one of the most clutch performers, especially in the postseason, throughout his career. Um, and also, um, averaging 18.9 points per game and from 1961 to 68 um, jones averaged 22.6 points 5.1 rebounds and 2.7 assists as the celtics won six championships in seven seasons he was known for his lightning like quickness and made the bang shot from different angles and art something only tim duncan has been able to do since he retired in 1964-65 Jones finished fourth in scoring in the league, averaging twenty-five point nine points per game, and averaged twenty-eight point six points per game, and helping the Celtics defeat the Sixers and then Lakers for the title. That season also marked the first of his three consecutive All NBA Second Team selections. Just to let you know, ladies and gentlemen, they did not have the All NBA Third Team until like the like the late eighties, like like the mid to late eighties. So that's why some guys don't have as much All NBA selections. So if you guys look at some guys' resumes and they don't have that many All All NBA selections. That's the reason why, they only had two NBA teams until like the mid '80s or so, or like the late '80s. I forgot what year, but it was around that time when they added the NBA third team, because more great players were starting to come into the league. Even though there were a lot of great players in the '60s and '70s as well, they should have added it way from the very beginning. But it is what it is. Um, so he would also hit the game-winning shot in Game Four of the 1969 NBA Finals against the Lakers, as Boston would go on to take the series in seven games. He would then retire at the conclusion of the 1970 Finals. Um, he retired leading the Celtics in scoring in the 60s three different times, and for four straight years, he averaged over 20 points per game. When he retired in 1969, um, Jones held 11 Celtics records and had the single-game scoring record of 51 points, which has since been broken by Larry Bird and Jason Tatum. And During his career, he racked up 15,411 points at a 17.7 points per game clip and shot 80% from the foul line. To go along with his titles and on-base selections, he's also a five-time All-Star and a member of the 25th, 50th, and 75th anniversary teams. He was one of the great clutch players, shooters, and shooting guards in league history. He was a true winner. Sam Jones, 70. I think it's a great place for him. Yes, he might not have carried those teams, but he definitely was like the number two option behind Bill Russell. Um, Him and Bob Cousy was an amazing backcourt, and they were dangerous together. He was like the shooting guard after Bill Sharman retired. Um, Sham Jones, when I played with him, 2K, that guy can really shoot the ball. He could shoot that thing from deep. (laughs) He was like Ray Allen before Ray Allen. You feel me? He was athletic. He had a handle. He could shoot. He was willing to accept his role as the number two option on the winning team. And he just did his thing, man. He was clutch as they come. He was never afraid of the moment. He literally has a nickname Mr. Clutch for a reason. Literally for a reason. And the reason why I have him up above of something like Dennis Rodman and stuff, 10 titles, bro, come on. And he wasn't just like 10 titles riding the bench. He was a big reason why they won those 10 titles. He might not have been as big of a reason as like Bill Russell was for those 10, for those, Bill Russell has 11 titles, excuse me, but Sam Jones has 10 of those. Um, he might not have as big a reason as Bill Russell, but he definitely was a, major reason why they still won those 10 titles so I got I had 10 titles that will never happen again in modern NBA history even though that was before the modern era but still that's that's something that will never be duplicated ever so I had to have him above those guys and he was a really potent offensive weapon and a great shooter and was dangerous in the clutch so at 69 now I got Carmelo Anthony one of the most prolific scorers in NBA history having just passed um, at the time when I did the article, he just passed Moses Malone for ninth spot on the all-time scoring list. He's number nine right now. Um, Anthony first started as a player at Hill Academy, where he earned All-American honors. From there, he had one of the best freshman years ever at Syracuse, where he averaged 22.2 points per game and led the men to the first NCAA title in 2003 and was named the NCAA's tournament's most outstanding player. He will go on to become the third overall pick in the historic 2003 NBA draft to the Denver Nuggets, where he averaged 21 points per game his rookie season. The third best mark in the last 20 years. He helped the Nuggets reach the playoffs in each of his seven seasons there, but unfortunately lost in the first round six of those seven appearances, but won 54 games and reached the Conference Finals in 2009, where they lost in five games to the Kobe Gasol-led Lakers. In February 2011, Anthony forced a trade to the Knicks and his playoff streak continued throughout through his first three seasons in New York. The 2012-13 season remains the Knicks' best since they reached the finals in 1999. Um, With Anthony leading the way in scoring, averaging 28.7 points per game, they won 54 games. I was in seventh grade during that time. The Knicks were on a roll. And he finished top three in MVP voting, his highest ever in his career. But they were upset by the Paul George-led Indiana Pacers in the conference semifinals, failing to reach the finals that year. He would then go on to play in OKC after... The next few seasons for the Knicks wasn't really that great. They missed the playoffs. They got Porzingis, but they still missed the playoffs. And they just, they were miserable. They were terrible those next few years until he was eventually going to play to OKC with the Westbrook, with Russell Westbrook and Paul George. Um, Then 10 games in Houston with CB3 and Harden. And he was wrongly blackballed out of the league for a year before he got his career rejuvenated by the Portland Trail Blazers, where he would join superstar guard Damian Lillard. On the Blazers, he would average 14.3 points per game, mainly coming off the bench. And then he'll eventually get a starting role in his two seasons there. And he signed in, eventually, he was signed with the Lakers this past offseason to join his fellow draft mate and longtime friend, LeBron James. Anthony's a 10 time All Star, six time All NBA selection, led the league in scoring in 2013, won the NBA Social Justice Award in 2021. Got to get a salute for that. And he was officially named a member of the 75 Greatest NBA Players Ever list by the media. Anthony's also the only player to have played in four Olympics for the United States, winning three gold medals, 2008, 2012, and 2016, and he has won bronze in 2004, along with another bronze in the 2006 World Championships. He's the all-time limit career scoring leader with 336 career points and gets his rightful spot here on this list. To me, I try to factor in a lot of stuff in these type of lists, winning, how the eye tests your stats your accolades like all that the era you played in but not try not to try not to take away too much from the play era players played in because you can't control that like i said like i'm really objective most of these i feel like my list is better than the official list because i really try to be objective and a lot of these so-called experts are very biased like how how did dwight howard not make the official list 75 list. I don't get it, and Dwight Howard has stated he's very upset about that, and I hate rightfully so. But Carmelo Anthony makes my list, um, 69, because yes, he might not have won a championship with the guys um, I have below him, but overall as a player, he was better than all of them. He especially offensively, he can get to you any way, any how offensively. You want a mid-range pull-up? He can give it to you. Three-point, he could give to you. Off the dribble, catch and shoot, he can give it to you. On the block, he was 6'8", 250. He, come on, so many great players have said Colonel Anthony's one of the hardest players they ever had to guard. Kobe has said that. LeBron has said that. Paul Pierce, Dwayne Wade. Carlton Anthony Anthony's 6'8", and he's strong. He has the, the butt of a caboose. <laughs> he knows how to use his body in the post. He is physical and strong in his prime. He was a monster. He had it all the tools, all the tricks, and the whole bag offensively. He might not have been the greatest defender, like a Dennis Rodman, and stuff like that. But in terms of statistics, accolades for individual, for a player, he's he, he's better than James Worthy. He's better than Mange Nobley, He's better than Tony Parker. He's better than Jam Jones. Former Anthony played on the Denver Nuggets team. Yes, they had Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson was kind of past his prime by then. Um, And then Chauncey Billups, they had him. Um but yeah, he played with a few Hall of Fame players, but on the Knicks he never played with a Hall of Fame player on the Knicks. Yeah, he had Marston and that one year in 2010-11 when he was still uh, one of the best players in the league, but after that he went downhill. Knee injuries messed him up. Um but Carl Anthony, he was kind of unfortunate um to not have won a championship so far in his career. This is his best chance on the Lakers this year. We'll see what they do cuz they've been really playing awful this year. Hopefully they can get their act together. Um, but this is his best shot this year to win a championship. That's the only thing that's eluding from his career, a championship. He has all the um, accolades, 10-time All-Star, 6-time base selection, led the league in scoring. N- none none of the guys I mentioned before, Major Nobly, Tony Parker, James Worthy, Sam Jones, never led the league in scoring. None of them are a 10-time All-Star. You know how hard it is to become a 10-time All-Star, bro? There's not many players in league, in league history that have been an All-Star 10 or more times. And there's been thousands of players to play in the NBA. Over four forty five hundred players that played in the NBA history. It's very hard to be a ten time become a ten time all-star or more than that. That's crazy. So I had I had to put Melo over over those guys. He's just individually as a player better than those guys. And Rodman. Rodman's a great defender, but I just I if it comes it's tough. I had to put Melo over him. Melo's just better statistically than, than Roman Raman was just not that good offensively like not even average offensively if he was just average and I'm not saying he had to be great but he was he was like below average offensively if he was just average offensively I would have put him over Melo like if he if he at least averaged 12 to 13 points 12 to 15 points per game in his career I probably would have put him over Melo but I, I couldn't so Melo's number 69 on my 75 greatest players list we have 68 now Hal Greer consistency Hal Greer once told the philadelphia daily news quote for me that was the thing i'd like to be remembered as a great consistent player and damn sure that's what he was he scored 21,586 career points and 1,122 career games averaging 19.2 points per game for his career over 15 nba seasons he stayed with one franchise his whole career starting off with the syracuse nationals in 1958 which is now known as the philadelphia 76ers He's the Sixers' all time leading scorer to this day. That is saying something because that's a franchise that has had a, the electric Allen Iverson, high flying Dr. J, and the unprecedented Wilt, and the bruising Moses Malone. Guerra sits at the supreme score as the supreme scorer in Sixers history over those guys. That is, and all those guys I just named are top 25 players of all time. No debate. No debate. Wilt, Moses Malone, Allen Iverson, and uh, Dr. J. Excuse me, top 30, because I had Allen Iverson just outside my top 25. But top 30 players of all time, that's still amazing. He played alongside fellow Hall of Famers Walt Chamberlain and Bill Willie Cunningham, and he helped to lead the Sixers to a remarkable 45 4 start in the 1966 um, 67 season and eventually the NBA title in 1967. He averaged 22.1 points and 5.3 rebounds per game that season. And along with the Sixers, finished with a 67-15 regular season mark, which was an NBA record at the time. Gray was a tremendous jump shooter and scorer who was reliable at the foul line, finishing his career shooting 80% from the foul line. Um, and he averaged 20 or more points per game in eight seasons throughout his career, with his career high being 24.1 in 1967-68. Along with being an NBA champion, he's a 10-time All-Star, an All-Star MVP back in 1968, 7-time NBA selection, with all of them being second team, and has his number 15 retired by the Sixers, and is a member of the 50th and 75th anniversary teams. To me, he's one of the most underappreciated great guards in league history. Maybe the most underappreciated great guard in NBA history, honestly, because I never hear his name talked about when they talk about the great shooting guards and guards overall in league history. And he never gets a mention among the great shooting guards who have played the game. So I just want to give him his just due here on 68th on my list. I had him over Mello. Some some of you might be like, well, I see over Mello. Well, he has a chip. Um, and he wasn't just riding the bench either on that chip. He was the second best player on that chip behind Wilt Chamberlain. He was just as good of a scorer as Mello. Um He averaged over 20 points per game, eight years in his career. He might not have been, Melo averaged like 27 to 29 a game, but he wasn't that far behind. He was just as good. As Melo scoring wise. And he helped his teams win more. And eventually won the title. Um, and also when I looked up. They didn't really have all defensive teams. Until I forgot in the 70s. Or the late 60s. But um, when I read, read an article. They said he was a pretty solid defender. So I had. And Melo we all know Melo is not really the best defender. So. I ha- That's why I put him. Because he was a better defender than Melo. Just as good of a scorer. And. He won, so I put him over Melo. So at number 67 now, I had Nate Thurman, um, an elite big who dominated defensively and is one hell of a rebounder. He's also an amazing shot blocker and is literally the most underrated great big in NBA history, literally. Never hear his name mentioned among the great centers. I have two guys right here in, in Hal Greer, 68, 67, got Nate Thurman, who literally I never hear mentioned among the greats, and it's really annoying. Yes, I've said Moses Malone, um, you'll hear later on in my episode, as and others are underrated as well in NBA history. There's a lot of underrated greats. But Durbin by far takes the cake in terms of most underrated um, among the greats because he played in a time when Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, and Kareem Lujabara roamed the NBA earth. And they were all in their primes. He was the first player to ever log a quadruple double in NBA history with 22 points. 14 rebounds, 13 assists, and 12 blocks on opening night against the Atlanta Hawks in the 74-75 season in his Bulls debut. He had a solid mid-range game as well and a rugged intimidating factor to his game at six foot eleven, and he gave problems to guys like Kareem and Wilt. He played with Chamberlain as a rookie in 1964, where they would reach the finals but ended up losing to the Celtics in 5 games. Imagine having those two and you lose to the Celtics in 5 games? That's how great the Celtics were. <laughs> Once Wilt was traded to the Sixers, it paved the way for more minutes for Thurman, who averaged a double-double for a whole decade. He's had multiple 30-plus rebound games and sits 10th on the all-time rebounds list with 14,464. He holds career averages of 15 points and 15 rebounds per game. Some basketball observers even went as far to say he had better defense than Wilt and was better offensively than Russell. He helped revitalize the Cavaliers in the twilight of his career and helped them earn their first-ever playoff berth. Thurman is a seven-time All-Star, five-time All-Defensive Team member, um, and a member of the 50th and 75th anniversary team. He also has his number 42 retired by the Cavaliers and Warriors. And his Thurman's quickness, long hands, smooth outside touch, ferocious rebounding, swarming defense, shot-blocking ability, and being a team player made him the full package you would want in an elite center. So number 67, Nate Thurman excuse me um Nate Thurman was just amazing he was just a better all-around big than Dennis Rodman that's why I have him over Dennis Rodman I don't know if championships aren't everything that's a team accomplishment yes players play a big role but championships aren't the end-all be-all and I hate that ring culture stuff crap that'd be getting me tight um if that was the case Bill Russell's the goat and the story but it ain't all about championships you gotta factor in how you won those championships were you the best player on those championships were you a top guy on those championships were you the alpha dog the second guy your accolades the eye test i'm watching these players everything you gotta factor in but nate thurman gets his gets his respect on my list at number 67 so at number 66 i got the pistol pete maravich before magic the pistol as he's known by was the best showman in nba history he arguably is even with Magic johnson having played in nba he could still make argument he was the best showman in nba history he was a spectacular ball handler with unlimited range, who helped open up the game of basketball in the 1970s. He came into the league in 1970 after arguably the greatest college career ever. Nah, I'm not even going to say arguably. He had the greatest college career ever at LSU, where he averaged 44.2 points per game. That record will simply never, ever be broken. Never. I don't care how many great players come in college basketball. Never, never be broken. He would have definitely been more valuable and benefited, benefited from the pace and how wide open the game is today. You see guys like Kyrie Irving, and Amela Ball, Steph Curry. He, so Pete Maravich, he was ahead of his time. He had marvelous marvelous dribbling like Kyrie Irving, the flashy passing of a young star like Amela Ball today, and that's how special he was. Um, he only played 10 seasons in NBA as a member of the Hawks, Jazz, and Celtics, but he was never able to have true play of success and was in some unfortunate situations, just as with the Hawks and Jazz. Um, that's why I kind of he's kind of low on my list at 66 because he only only 10 years in nba that's not a lot that's literally <laughs> like a half of some players careers like kareem kareem played 10 20 years that's only half of his career he'd even play like 13 15 seasons and he wasn't a great defender um and he never he only played like how many playoff games throughout his career it was the margin the number was very low when i saw it um um he never really had true level success but he was a gym rat he always wanted to get better and he entered the nba as a top 10 scorer. He averaged 23.2 points per game as a rookie, good for ninth in the league, and he ultimately took home a scoring title with 31.1 points per game for the New Orleans Jazz in the 1976-77 season. He would earn the first of his five career all-star appearances by averaging 26.1 points per game and a career-high 6.9 assists per game. Merevich was also a four-time NBA selection and led the league in scoring in 1977. He was a member of the 50th and 75th anniversary team and helped to completely transform the game of basketball. Ladies and gentlemen, he changed the game with his magical ball ha- ball handling, to his brilliant passing, to his ability to be a marksman from deep. Pistol Pete Maravich was a pioneer, was a tr- revolutionary of the game. And that's why I have him at number 66. He might not have won like a Rodman or Tony Parker, Manjinovi-Worthy, and Sam Jones, but individually as a player he was better than all those guys and he changed the game he literally changed the game of basketball without him I don't think we see guys coming later like uh Allen Iverson with those handles Kyrie Irving he was the first guy who had sick, sick handles like sick handles him and like Earl Monroe in the 70s they changed the game of basketball man so Pistol Pete Maravich he was the first guy we had we seen that had sick handles an amazing passing. So I had a number 66. He would have been higher if he played longer and had more winning seasons, especially if you won a championship or deeper playoff runs. But I still have him number 66 because he transformed the game of basketball. 65, Jerry Lucas. He was a winner at every level and one of the best rebounds of all time. He wasn't the tallest, he stood just six foot eight, and he wasn't the greatest leaper either but Jerry Lucas still found a way to haul in 12,943 career rebounds for an average of 15.6 per game, which is fourth all-time. He and John Havlicek were a dynamic duo that led Ohio State to the NCAA championship game in their three seasons in Columbus, ultimately winning in 1960. He was what we would call today a modern four with his elite shooting ability, with that one-hand push out of his, and he was a solid defender. He entered NBA in 1963 and was an instant stud winning rookie of the year, and making second-team All-NBA honors in 63-64, averaging 17.7 points and 17.4 rebounds per game, leading the league in field goal percentage with 52.7%, and he's also the only player other than Wilt Chamberlain, who did it for 10 seasons, to average at least 20 points and 20 rebounds in multiple seasons, doing so in his third, second, and third seasons in NBA, where he averaged 21.4 and 20 rebounds in 64-65, and 21 and a half, and 21.1 rebounds, and uh, 65, 66. That's crazy. Points and rebounds. He averaged 20 and 20. <laughs> that is crazy. And back-to-back years. He was traded to the New York Knicks on May 7, 1971, in a blockbuster trade that involved Kazi Russell. He played his final three years in New York, where he reached the finals twice and won the 1973 NBA championship, backing up Willis Reed at center. He was a seven-time All-Star, the 1965 All-Star Game MVP. His five All-NBA selections include three years on the first team in 64-65, 65-66, and 67-68. And he also was a two-time All-NBA second-team member and was inducted to the Hall of Fame in 1980. He's a member of the NBA's 50th and 75th anniversary teams. I have him at 65, and I initially forgot Jerry Lucas, honestly. I was like, cause I used to play with him in 2K. I was like, yo, this guy can shoot the ball, tremendous rebounder, a good post defender. If he was a few inches taller, he would have been even more lethal. I think if he was like 6'10 to 7 feet, I think he would be higher on the all-time list. How great he was at 6'8. Imagine if he was 6'10 to 7 feet tall. He, I think he would be top 40, top 35 all-time. He would be even higher. I think he would have even more accolades and more accomplishments. Um, I had him higher than Pete Maravich because he won. He was, I think, a better all-around player than Pete Maravich. He was a solid defender, a great rebounder. He was only uh, like three inches taller than Pete Maravich, and he helped a team win. He helped the Knicks win. When he went to the Knicks, the Knicks were winning. Um, he was just as great of a scorer, and he was a little bit better of a scorer than Nate Thurman, and he was just as great of a rebounder as Nate Thurman. 20-20. Back to back. Come on. That's crazy. And he was only 6'8". Nate Thurman was, about 6'11"? Give him Nate Thurman tight. He's doing the same thing as Nate Thurman, bro. He's getting a quadruple-double, honestly. Probably. He might not... Nah. He he wanted, wasn't as great a defender as Nate Thurman. But he at least is going to get 30 rebounds in a game. I'll tell you that. And I haven't got... He's, he won more than Melo. He was a better all-around player than Melo. So I have him over Melo. Same thing with um, Sam Jones. I feel like he's a better all-around player than Sam Jones. And definitely better offensively than Dennis Rodman. He could rebound just as good as Dennis Rodman. And he was a better shooter, a better offensive player. That's why he's over Dennis Rodman. And same thing with Tony Parker and Manjinova. I feel like he's just a better all-around player. And that's why I had Jerry Lucas, the great Jerry Lucas, at number 65. Getting to the next player, 64, I got Bill Walton. Man, Bill Walton, man. Perhaps the biggest what-if in NBA history. Tremendous. He was a tremendous, highly skilled and intelligent basketball player, cursed by foot and knee injuries. That sadly hindered him what he could have been, which is he would have been one of the 10 to 15 greatest players ever. I'll tell you that right now. Imagine he was such a brilliant basketball player despite that, being arguably the greatest passing big man of all time, with only current nugget star Senator Nicole Jokic challenging him for that title. Imagine Jokic right, ladies and gentlemen, but imagine him with better defense and better and more athletic. That's what Bill Walton was. He was as good as offensively as Jokic. Maybe not in points, but he was... He could do everything Jokic can do. Rebound at a high level, score at a high level. Was a team player, a winner. Had all the intangibles, but was more agile, more athletic, and a way better defender. He was an immediate game changer who transformed the Blazers franchise who had not reached 30 wins in a season until he arrived they eclipsed that in his first season and he nearly doubled it by his fourth season 1978 when he when they finished with a 58 win campaign in the season where he captured the mvp award despite just playing 58 games he averaged 18.9 points 13.2 rebounds five assists and two and a half blocks per game he led the blazers to the title in 1977 over the julius irving and george mcginnis led sixers helping rally Rally being down 2-0 to the Sixers and amassing 78 rebounds, 26 assists, and 18 blocks over four straight wins in their franchise's only title, capturing the 1977 Finals MVP. He sadly played just 468 career games, but was able to be a key part of the 1986 Celtics team, considered one of the best teams ever where he would play a career-high 80 games and win the Sixth Man of the Year award. He was a two-time on-base selection, two-time all-star, the lowest of any player on, on my list, and he led the league in rebound in 1977. He's a two-time All-Defensive first-team member and has his number 32 retired by the Blazers. He's very difficult to rank. Oh, man, yes, he was, because his peak is so high and incredible, but his longevity wasn't there. Despite that, he was a unicorn-type player because of his unique ability to make others better at his size like no other big has until Jokic came along, and his dominance of on both ends of the floor was something... You rarely see in a big man. That's why I had Bill Walton number 64. I was, to me, why I have Walton this high at 64, some people didn't even have it on 75 lists altogether. And I feel like as time goes on, as more great players come, he's really going to drop. And he's already dropping. The injuries really messed him up in all-time rankings. Like Tony Parker, Martin Ginobili, Carmelo Anthony, all have more accolades than him, except for all-star appearances, basically. Really, anything doesn't have the chips. Excuse me, but I say reason why I have 64 Bill Walton over some of the guys that I've named um, that I've named so far. The MVP man, nobody I named has been until him has been named the MVP. He was an MVP. That's 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 a saying a lot. Now was the league that had Kareem freaking Abdul Jabbar in his at his apex. I had to give him some love here. I couldn't put him top 50 because of injuries, but uh, the MVP and winning the finals MVP, he he not just only won a championship as a bench player, being a six-man on that Celtics team. He also won a championship as being the best player on a team and winning the finals MVP in dominating fashion against Julius Irving, who I have in my top 15 all time. Julius Irving and George McGinnis, two Hall of Famers. Bill Walton was a game changer, a trailblazer, literally. <laughs> and he led the Blazers to the only championship in franchise history. They haven't won a final since. Literally, they have not won a final since. And being the MVP is a big deal. So i that's the reason I have him over those guys that are below him. At number 63, I got Nate Archibald, Nate Tiny Archibald. Before Isaiah Thomas, before Allen Iverson, there was Nate Tiny Archibald. One of the toughest Grittiest and greatest little guys in NBA lore. Standing at just six foot one, Archibald was one hell of a playmaker and scorer, being the only player in league history to lead of league in assists and scoring in the same season. That is crazy. <laughs> he did that in 1972-73, with averages of 34 points and 11.4 assists per game, basically 11 and a half assists per game. He had a lightning quick first step and was a tremendous finisher with both hands. For a decade, he was among the league's best guards, with averages of 20.7 20. points, 2.4 boards, eight assists, and a 1.2 steals per game. all making six All-Star appearances, he was at his best from 1971-76, posting 27.3 points, 2.7 rebounds, and 8.7 assists, and 1.5 steals per game. Despite the Kansas City-Omaha Kings struggling to find success as a team during that span, he unfortunately tore his Achilles in 1977, but was able to recover and remodel his game by 1981 when he joined the Celtics. He will join a young Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, and Robert Parrish during a 1981 NBA title. In the season where he ranked fifth in assists in the league with 7.7 per game and along with being a champion and six-time all-star, he won the all-star MVP in 1981 and was a five-time all-NBA selection. His number one was retired by the Sacramento Kings and is a member of the 50th and 75th NBA anniversary teams. Yeah. The only reason I had him over Walton is because he yes, he had injuries too, um, Nate Archibald, but he at least did it for more than five seasons. Bill Walton was only really great for like three, four years. It's like Derrick Rose situation. But except Bill Walton won a title as the best player and won a finals MVP and won two championships overall as a player. That's the difference between him and Derrick Rose. Nate Archibald was just he was great for at least six to eight years. At least six, seven years before he tore his Achilles. That's why I had him over Bill Warren. Just because he did it for at least a few more seasons. That's the only reason. That's the only reason. But yeah, Nate Archibald, Nate Tiny Archibald, the great Nate Tiny Archibald, I have a number 63. And at number 62 now, I have T-Mac, Tracy McGrady, one of the most talented players and scorers that have ever graced an NBA court. He was so effortless in his scoring. It seemed like he was just being lazy out there. That's how great he was. He led the NBA scoring back-to-back years in 03 and 04, averaging 32.1 and 28 points per game, respectively. He had an array of moves from the turnaround jumper, a killer crossover, the finger roll like Iceman Gervin, a smooth-looking jump shot, and could throw it down on anyone. His bag of tricks offensively is only challenged by very few in league history. I think the only players that can track his back that could challenge his bag of tricks offensively in NBA history is Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, and probably Kevin Durant. You could probably say Carmelo Anthony too, but Carmelo wasn't the athletic freak that T-Mac was. He wouldn't just throw it down to anybody like T-Mac could. That's why I think T-Mac is a top five offensive player of all time. He was so good. So, so good. He unfortunately didn't have much help on his teams in his prime years with the Magic and Rockets due to injuries to star players such as Grant Hill and Yao Ming. And he was never able to get past the first round until he was a bench warmer his last year in the league with the 2013 Spurs, which knocks him down on my list. The lack of playoff success really hurts him. If he could have had more playoff success and the injuries didn't ruin him, T-Mac would have been top 20 all time, ladies and gentlemen. He he was so good, he literally could have been top 10 all time. That's how talented he was. Despite that, McGrady is a seven-time All-Star, seven-time NBA selection, won the Most Improved Player in 2001, and was inducted to the Hall of Fame in 2017. Um, injuries and lack of team success sadly derailed McGrady's primary legacy, but for a brief period in the early 2000s, there were people really saying, is he better than Kobe? Even the late great Kobe Bryant said McGrady was the toughest player he ever had to guard. That speaks volumes on his greatness. The reason I had McGrady over Bill Walton, yes, he didn't win, but he at least had seven years of being a top 10 player in the league, a seven, eight year span of being one of the top 10 best players in the league. That's why I had him over Bill Walton, even though he didn't have the winning like Bill Walton, but come on. When people are saying, are you better than Kobe? Kobe's freaking top 10 all time. That is saying something, bro. That is really saying something. And he led the league in scoring twice. I had him over Nate Archibald, too, because I feel like he was just a better overall player than Nate Archibald. At their best, both at their best, I'm taking T-Mac. I'm taking T-Mac. Even though Nate Archibald was great, too. Let's, let's face it. When they were both the number one options, their their teams both weren't winning. But let's be real. McGrady. Um, if Grant Hill wasn't injured on those Magic teams or if Yao Ming was injured on those Rockets teams, the injuries didn't derail them. T-Mac would have at least had one ring to his name. At least one. Especially on the Magic. Grant Hill healthy. Prime Grant Hill. Woo! Man. Imagine him and T-Mac together. Oh my goodness. And Or imagine if he were to stay with the Magic. And then they got Dwight Howard. Because they were really terrible that 4 season. They got Dwight Howard. Imagine he stayed. And Dwight Howard developed and got into his prime. Imagine those two together. That's why I had him over Nate Archibald. And um, Bill Walton. Because I just think he was, as a player, the eye test was different. He was the first player to throw it off the backboard in-game, in the All-Star game. This Like, what? Nobody thought of ever doing that. Throwing it off the backboard and dunking it in your face. Disrespectful. Thought <laughs> out disrespectful. That's how good T-Mac was. But the only reason he's not as high as he could be on this list because injuries and the lack of playoff success. But he still may it as number 62 on my list. 61, I have Damian Lillard. Dame time. So from one clutch killer um, and then moving into the other one before him. So he's known for his calmness and cold-blooded shots in the clutch. Damian Lillard has been the clutchest player in the league since he stepped foot in the league in 2012 as a sixth overall pick out of small Weber State College. He's arguably the greatest Blazer ever if he can win a championship. But for now, he's on that list with Bill Walton and Clyde Drexler as the three greatest Blazers in franchise history. He was the fourth unanimous Rookie of the Year award winner in 2013 in NBA history, joining Blake Griffin, David Robinson, and Ralph Sampson. In his second year in the league, he became the first player to compete in every All-Star Weekend event, the Rising Stars, the Skills Challenge, Slam Dunk Contest, three-point shootout, and All-Star Game. He has hit ultimate daggers to opponents' hearts twice, which he did in the Game 6 first-round series against the harden Rockets in 2015 and in the first round against the Westbrook Paul George led Thunder in Game 5 of 2019. Oh, wait, no, 2014, he had that Game 6 winner against the Rockets. I remember that, like, yesterday. I was in middle school. That was crazy. The is the Blazers' second all-time leading scorer, trailing only Drexler. Um, When he entered this season, he was only trailing him by 1,225 points entering this season. Um, That's definitely less now, obviously. Um, But he will sure surpass him this season if he doesn't have injuries like plagued season. He's a leader on and off the court, um, being awarded the J. Walter Kennedy Citizenship Award in 2019 and NBA Teammate of the Year Award in 2021. He's also a great hip-hop artist, arguably the best star, player, and artist ever. He's won the rare loyal Superstars today, pleading many times he wants to remain with the Blazers his entire career. He's a six-time All-Star, six-time NBA selection, and a member of the 75th anniversary team. He's among the most feared, feared clutch players in league history. And when it's cunch time, just know, it's Dane time. <laughs> the only reason I have Dane over McGrady, because he, yes, he might not have won a championship, but he, he has, he's at least made it deeper in the playoffs. He's been to a conference finals at least once in 2019, even though they got swept by the Warriors. And he, I don't think he's ever been, he's only been bounced out the first round once, I think um in 20 and in 2020 against the lakers i believe yeah i think yeah in 2020 against the lakers in the bubble and then last year against the nuggets even though he put on a historic performance against the nuggets last year so from a from one killer to another the ultimate killer the nick killer as they called him reggie miller was the ultimate assassin from downtown before steph before ray it was Miller, who was a preeminent star who came off screens and tired his opponents all game long by constantly moving without the ball. He was a high-volume voltage scorer who was ahead of his time and definitely would be even better today in the three-point era. He retired with the most threes made with 2,563s made, but has since been surpassed by Ray Allen and Stephen Curry. Despite that, his legend still looms large, being the third on the all-time career threes made list, leading the NBA in free throw percentage five times, In 1993-94, he made the 50-40-90 club, a feat accomplished by only eight other players in league history. He became an epic scoring rampage. He had eight points in nine seconds for the Pacers late in Game 1 of the 1995 Eastern Conference Semifinals against the Knicks. In the '94 playoffs, he scored 25 of his 39 points in the fourth quarter during Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Knicks and became an instant enemy in Mass Square Garden and courtside heckler Spike Lee. He set the Pacers' single-game scoring record with 57 back in 1992 against the Charlotte Hornets. And he led the Pacers to their one and only finals appearance in 2000, where they fell in six games to the dominant one-two punch of the Shaq Kobe-led Lakers, just by averaging 24.3 points per game in that series. He's a five-time All-Star, three-time NBA selection, a member of the 50-40-90 club, and 75th anniversary team. He also has his number 31 retired by the Pacers, and is one of the most clutchest, most feared killers. NBA history some of y'all might say 60's too low for Reggie but I feel like some of y'all overrate Reggie a little bit yes I reason I have him over um even though I think McGrady's a better player but I'm trying to be objective I would choose McGrady over Miller but I'm trying to be objective in this list because I like McGrady more than Miller but Reggie Miller led his team to the finals as the best player in 2000 even though he lost he had more deep playoff success than Tracy McGrady let's keep it real I'm being real here. Some of these experts don't like to be real. They want to be biased, but I'm giving y'all like true, true stuff here, man. True stuff here. Reggie Miller helped his team win more than McGrady, and he made it deeper when it came, when it counted. He at least led his team to the finals. And that's why I have him over Lillard. Lillard has more handles than than uh, Miller. He can shoot it deep like Miller, especially off the dribble. He's probably a better player than Miller when it's all said and done. But for right now, and Miller led his team to the finals, Lillard hasn't gotten to the finals yet. If Lillard gets to the finals wins, or wins a chip, whatever, or wins the MVP, I'll put him over Miller. Even if he doesn't, I think he's going to have more accolades than Miller by the end of his career. But for right now, I got to give Reggie Miller the mantle. He was just, he was just the Nick killer. <laughs> Number 59, Dennis Johnson. DJ. Hey, my name is DJ. (laughs) I'm corny for that. But anyways, as they call him, same name as me. How ironic, right? (laughs) Anyways, Dennis Johnson is probably the most underrated great guard in league history. He was a defensive Mavin sent from heaven for basketball coaches who preach defense, stifling some of the league's best stars at the time, such as Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Clyde Drexler, and so forth. He had quick hands and feet, which made him a constant threat to strip the ball from opponents. Um, always seeming to be in the right spot when you needed him to be. He had it all in his repertoire. He could post you up, crash the boards, hit the outside shot, and lead the fast break. He was also a solid passer, averaging five assists per game in his career. People seem to just remember DJ as a member of the Celtics, but people forget he was the leader and best player on those 1975 Sonics that won the NBA championship. Ultimately, he won the finals MVP in that series as well, where he averaged 28.6 points per game. I don't know how he didn't make the official 75 list. I really don't. But he will go on to win two more titles as well, but bring his total to his career to three with those legendary 80 Celtics teams in 1984 and 86 where they won the titles with Bird, McHale, and Parrish forming one of the best teams of all time. DJ is a three-time champion, five-time All-Star, the 1979 Finals MVP, two-time NBA selection, and a nine-time All-Defensive selection. He has his number three retired by the Celtics and is one of the best defenders and guards in league history. He should have his number retired by the Sonics too. I don't know if they do have his number retired by the Thunder have his number retired. I think they do, but I'm not sure. But he is definitely one of the most... When I hear great point guards in league history, I never hear his name. Never, ever. And it's a shame. He and the great defenders too. And when I'm talking great perimeter defenders of all time, DJ's top five. Dennis Johnson is top five. If I'm going to be my greatest perimeter defenders of all time, no order. Dennis Johnson, Gary Payton, Michael Jordan, Kawhi Leonard, Scottie Pippen. That's my five greatest perimeter defenders of all time. Ooh, I forgot Will Clyde Frazier. Like, that's my top six. Per- perimeter, I'm talking perimeter defense, guards. That's my top six. Kobe's in there too. But I don't think he's truly as great defensively as those guys. I feel like Kobe got it because his name. Some of those. Like, he, he earned some of those. Like, number eight Kobe was a tremendous defender. But number 24 Kobe, he he made 12 of defensive teams, right? Number 12 Kobe wasn't as good a defender as number eight Kobe. Let's be real. He was a good defender still, but he wasn't as good as number eight. Number eight was more athletic, moving his feet crazy. So, DJ, I don't know how he didn't make the official 75 list. It it, it makes me cringe at the so-called experts of the media and the players. I, I just don't get it. How did he not make the official 75 list? He's definitely top 75. How you a Finals MVP, you were the best player on that team. You have three titles to your name. You're have a you what, a five-time All-Star? You have two on-base selections, and you made the All-Defensive team nine times. And I think they were all first-team nine-time All-Defensive selections, I think. That's crazy. It's crazy. So DJ is number 59 on my 75 greatest players of all time. So number 58 now, I have Ray Allen. Known as Jesus Shuttlesworth from the iconic basketball movie, He Got Game. Ray is one of the smoothest, purest shooters in NBA history, if not the purest shooter ever. He had a multitude of clutch shots throughout his career, including the greatest shot in NBA history in Game 6 of the 2013 NBA Finals as a member of the Heat, where it seemed like the Spurs were going to win on Miami's floor. They were literally bringing the trophy out, about to get ready for the Spurs to win the championship. And Ray Allen said, no, no, no. He backed up using his muscle memory and knocked down a huge three-pointer and what would have been a finals loss for for the Heat if he missed. He's the premier long distance king until Steph Curry passes him this season, which is very soon happening in the next two games in NBA history with 2,973 career and three made three-pointers. Once Steph Curry passes him, he'll be um, the second leading three-point shooter of all time. But um he has shown he's one of the greatest players of all time as well. He's not just a three-point shooter, though. He led the league in threes made three times in 2001, 2002, 0203, and 0506. And people forget, but Ray Allen, in his Milwaukee Bucks years, was an athletic freak who goes also dunk on your head, and he carried the Bucks to the 2001 Eastern Conference Finals, where they lost to the Iverson-led Sixers. He would go to the Seattle SuperSonics, where he would continue starting as a player, but wasn't having much team success. He would eventually get traded to the Celtics, joining forces with Hall of Famers Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, along with a young Rondo, Rajon Rondo. They were going on to be the beasts in the East that season, finishing with the best record in the league, which ended up in a championship in 2008 for the Celtics, Allen's first of two titles. He was ahead of his time and would be even better today in his prime in today's three-point revolution. Jesus Shuttlesworth is his nickname. He's a two-time champion, um, 10-time All-Star, two-time on-base selection, and is a member of the prestigious 75th anniversary team so you're probably like why well, do i don't have ray allen over reggie miller those two get compared a lot the reason i have ray allen over reggie miller because he had a better all-around game yes they weren't great defenders neither one of them but he was at least a little bit better than reggie miller and he was a better offensive player than reggie miller he could do everything reggie miller could do except he had a better handle he was more athletic and he could dunk on your head reggie miller could not do that watch their games Reggie Miller cannot do that. That's why I have Ray Allen over him, because he had a better handle. He could get, especially in his young years, his bucks, his buck years and Sonics years, he could create space, get off his defender, and yam it on you, especially in his Milwaukee Bucks years. And he could really shoot it just like Reggie, and he just was more athletic. That's why I put him over Reggie Miller. So that's why, in case y'all were wondering, that's why I have Ray Allen over Reggie Miller at number 58 on my 75 greatest of all time in NBA history. Number 57, I got George Gervin, known as the Iceman, because of his silky smooth scoring ability and overall offensive game. George Gervin was one of the most prolific scorers in NBA history. He averaged 26.2 points per game, ranked ninth in NBA League League history, and he's on one of five players in NBA history, along with Wilt, Jordan, Durant, and Iverson, are the floor players other with four or more scoring titles, excuse me. Talk about a pure bucket. During his legendary ABA and NBA playing days, He was known for his signature shot, the finger roll. He was adept at getting it over all types of defenders, regardless of height, size, or jumping ability. During his career, he recorded a remarkable streak of scoring double figures in 407 consecutive games, while also playing in 12 consecutive All-Star games, including the ABA. He finished second MVP voting in 1978, which was his highest ever, and is one of the best players to never win an MVP. Unfortunately, never had much winning success in his heyday, which knocks him down this list some spots. But in terms of individual talent, he to me he was better than the next two guys I have coming after him. um That's why I put him above Ray Allen. Um, and um Reggie Miller, because I just think as an individual talent, he was better than those guys. None of them were great defenders. That's why it kind of bounces out, but. I think as a scorer and a bucket getter George Gervin was better than um Reggie Miller and Ray Allen. He just was he was K, he was like Kevin Durant in the 70s. He was that special. He was a 9-time All-Star, All-Star MVP in 1980, 7-time on base selection. He has more on base selections than Ray Allen and Reggie Miller combined. That's why All-Base All-Base selections are a big deal. That's a big deal. He led the league in scoring four times. That's, that's really saying something, along with other ABA accolades. He's also one of the coolest players to ever grace an NBA court and has the nickname the Man because of how cool he was on the court. So number 57, I have George the Iceman Gervin. Next up on my list, <clears throat> I have a legend, one of the greatest centers of all time, who was left off the 75 list controversially, the biggest snub to me off that list, and they did him really wrong. And that's number 56. I got Dwight Howard, probably the most disrespected superstar in NBA history, which has become more evident after the NBA revealed its full NBA official 75 list and they left Dwight Howard off. Howard, he even viewed my story, IG story, when I tagged him. So shout out to him. Don't worry, Dwight. I got you. I got you, man. You're on my list. He makes my list as one of the most athletic, freakish big men we have ever seen, who was a p- powerful force in the paint and a dominant defensive player. He sadly has been a journeyman since he left the Magic, but when he was on the Magic those eight years, he was the best big man in the game. Just once he got to his prime in his third season, it was over, over. He led the 9 Magic to the NBA Finals past teams like the LeBron James-led Cavaliers and the Celtics that had Hall of Famers Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and a young Rondo on that team. They would eventually lose to the Kobe bryant Kyle Gasol led Lakers in five games, but he clearly established himself as the premier big in the league. Um, He would move on to the Lakers in the offseason in 2012, and he hasn't been the same player since suffering a herniated disc um, that year. Um, The Lakers' pairing with him, Nash, um, and Kobe never worked out. Uh, And then him and Harden didn't get along, and he's been to the Wizards, Hawks, Hornets, and Sixers as well since then. He's now back with the Lakers, a role he played and won a championship with in 2020 and he's an active paint protector and rebounder for that Lakers title team in 2020 he's an eight-time all-star eight-time on base selection five-time all-defensive team member he won three straight defensive player of the year awards from 20 from 2009 to 2011 he's only he's the only player in league history doing three straight and he didn't make the 75 list blasphemy that's <laughs> straight up crazy i don't know how he didn't make it He also led the league in rebounding five times and blocks twice. And the Defense Defense Player of the Year Award has been given out since 1982. So if if it was given out the whole time, he wouldn't be the only one. I think Bill Russell would have won three straight or more. And Will Chamberlain. Howard even said it was disrespectful he wasn't on the NBA 75 greatest players list. But on my list, he gets his rightful justification as one of the greatest players of all time. Dwight Howard He was more dominant, and his prime was way better than um, a Reggie Miller or Ray Allen, way, way better. He he was just way better on both ends of the court than those guys at his peak, and he led his team to the finals. That's why I have him higher than those guys. It's because how dominant he was defensively. It just it's just otherworldly. There's not a peak Dwight Howard defensively. There's not much players better defensively at his peak in his Orlando days than him. The only players I probably take over him defensively at his absolute apex, Um, probably Kawhi Leonard, Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, maybe Michael Jordan, maybe, not much players, Dennis Rodman, maybe, I don't know, he was that great defensively, so he's number 56 on my list, (coughs) excuse me, 55, got Paul Arizon, one of the early Pioneer stars in NBA, he burst onto the scene in 1950 with a new weapon, never yet seen in in the league, the jump shot, which at the time, the league had two-handed set-shot shooters and slow offenses. In addition to his unrivaled shooting accuracy, Arizon was a great leaper, slick ball handler, and a gritty defender. This was a guy who took two years out of his career to serve in the Korean War for America, put some respect on his name. He was one of the best scorers during the league's formative years, holding career averages of 22.8 points and 8.6 rebounds per game. In 10 seasons with the Warriors, he made the NBA All-Star Team every year, he won the scoring title twice in 1952 and 1957, was a four-time all-base selection, and won an NBA championship ring in 1956 as the best player on that team. He also recorded the third highest scoring average in a newly formed league, along with George Mikan and Bob Cousy, Larry Foss, Bill Sharman, Dolph Shades, and teammate Joe Fox. Arizin was a pioneering force in a circuit that was decades behind baseball and football in popularity. Arizon and those other stars gave the fledgling NBA the boost it needed to achieve respectability. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1978, and he has been a member of the 25th, 50th, and 75th anniversary teams. He was a true pioneer of the game and the first true jump shooting superstar where other great shooters will follow later on in decades to come, like Reggie Miller, Ray Allen, and the great Steph Curry. Arizon is smiling down proud on those superstars that came decades later. Rest in peace to Paul Arizon as you make it on number 55 on my 75 Greatest NBA Players of All Time list. At number 54 now, we got Wes Unseld. He was a six-foot-seven bull, as if he was, as if he was built, built from a block of granite. Wes Unseld was known for his toughness, laser beam outlet passes, and relentless pursuit of crashing the boards. Him and Wilt Chamberlain, if y'all didn't know this, it's a cool fact. Him and Wilt Chamberlain are the only players to ever won rookie of the year and MVP in the same season as Unsell did it in 1968-69. He helped lead the Bullets to four Finals appearances alongside Elvin Hayes to form a fearsome frontcourt duo and wound up winning the 1978 title over the Sonics in seven games, ultimately winning the Finals MVP. He has the most rebounds in franchise history for the Washington Wizards now, they're now known as that, um, with 13,769, and was the most feared screener of his time hearing opponents yell, Ah! whenever they ran into him even fearing him when they felt a scream coming that's how scary he was he was intelligent on and off the court and over the course of his career he came to personify the virtues of hard work dedication and courage he would become a five-time all-star and on be a first team member and led the league and rebounding in 1975 he would name he would be named to the 50th and 75th anniversary teams and was inducted to Into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 1988. Was He wasn't the the greatest offensive player. His career averages offensively are really below average for someone who's considered one of the greatest centers of all time. But what he did in the rebound department, setting screens, and being a great passer and a team leader, helping his team win, they made the finals appearances like three times, four times in his time there, and they came up with at least one championship. You got to give him kudos. He was one of the greatest centers of all time, and he makes the number 54 of my 75 greatest NBA players of all time. You know, probably why well, don't have Bob Cousy over, like, Walt Clyde Frazier? Well, Bob Cousy won more titles, and he was one of the main reasons why they won those titles, and he has an MVP. That's why I put him over Walt Frazier. He led the league in assists eight times, eight straight seasons. I don't think anybody has done that since. I don't know if Maddie, I'm not sure if Maddie Johnson has, but that's that's unheard of. So I had to put him over Walt Clyde Frazier. And I put him over Wes Unseld. Just because he has more titles. Um, And he he led the league in a major category more times than Wes Unseld did. Wes Unseld, I don't think he ever led the league in rebounding because he played in a league that had Wilt Chamberlain. Um, He came in the year Bill Russell was about to retire. He came in when Kareem was there. Bill Walton was there. He had some great... Elvin Hayes took some rebounds from him. So that's the reason I don't have him above. Um, Just because the titles and he never led the league in a major statistical category the way Bob Cousy did. That's why I had Bob Cousy over those guys. That came right after him. At number 51 now, I got Dolph Shays, one of football basketball's early superstars. Shays helped to revolutionize the game for the power forward position with his high arc and jump shot and constant moving off the ball. He was the first player to score 15,000 career points in NBA history. His career stretched from the NBA's inaugural year in 1946 to basketball's emergence as a major sporting attraction. He helped lead the Syracuse Nationals to the playoffs on 15 occasions, winning his lone title in 1955 over the Fort Wayne Pistons as the best player. He led the NBA in free throw percentage three times and averaged a double-double for 11 consecutive seasons. He retired with 19,249 career points, playing in what was then an NBA record, 1,059 games. He made the NBA first team six times and NBA second team six times. He would also lead the league in rebounding in 1951 and became and become a member of the NBA's 25th, 50th, and 75th anniversary teams. One of the early pioneer stars of the game, Shades was elected to the National Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 1972. This is these I'm thinking I'm giving these guys love like these 50s guys this high you would not see that on most guys lists. guys from the 50s and 60s. off Shades was one of if the if stre- if the first stretch four. If I had to think of it has to be Dolph Shays. He was like six eight, six nine, could really shoot the ball, had a could put the ball on the floor, could post you up, could rebound a higher level, and he just helped win, help his team win, win a championship as the best player. Um he never won an MVP because George Mike was in the league, then Bill Russell came, you know. So that's why that never happened. Um Bob Cousy had Bill Russell. That's why he won all those titles. I don't think he won six championships during his career without Bill Russell. I was gonna be honest. Um, Dolph Chase won one as the best player, and there was nobody near Bill Russell's level of greatness that he had to play with. That's why I put him higher. Any um, what's it called? Um, they were both equally twelve-time OMBA, so you have that. And he averaged a double-double for what I think his career for eleven consecutive seasons. About so almost his entire career, he almost averaged a double-double, which is insane. So and he was a six eight. That was pretty tall at the time, six eight. But um, that's still a Mason to do. So I have him number fifty one on my list. Um, I have to give him respect. Number fifty, I have Dominique Wilkins, known as the Human Highlight Film, due to his violent assault on the rim and his opponents. Wilkins was one of the most prolific scorers and iconic dunkers in league history. He helped bring excitement to the Atlanta Hawks franchise after helping them become a contender in the Eastern Conference. Um, He is the Hawks' all-time leading scorer with 23,292 points and currently ranks 14th all-time with 26,668 points. He had one of the most legendary duels of all time with contemporary Larry Bird in the 1988 Conference Semifinals, which included a 47-point performance in Game 7 to Bird's 34 in a losing effort to the Celtics. He would average 31.2 points per game during that postseason run and gain more league-wide respect as a result. He participated in some of the most iconic dunk contests of all time, coming up victorious twice 1985-1990, including a duel for the ages against Jordan in nineteen eighty eight. He helped lead the Hawks fourth to four straight fifty one seasons from eighty five to eighty nine, and during that span, he poured in more than thirty points per game twice, including the scoring title in nineteen eighty six. And for the four years combined, he averaged twenty nine point one points per game. Nink is one of the 20, one of twenty two players to score over twenty five thousand career points and is a nine-time All-Star and seven-time NBA selection. Despite not owning a title, he's one of the most ferocious Punishers in NBA history and one of the best scorers the league has seen. It was a travesty. He didn't make the original NBA 50 list, but he gets his rightful place on the NBA 75 list, on my list, and the official 75 list. And he was very mad and very public uh, about not making the NBA 50 list. He, he even said, he, some of the players on that list, he said he could give them the work in his prime, which is kind of true. <laughs> Um, he definitely would, but um, he definitely gets the rightful place on my seventy-five list at number fifty. Uh number forty-nine now. Um, I think is this my first current player that's still playing? I think on my list. No, I had Damian Lillard at sixty-one. Excuse me. This is my second player that's still currently playing the NBA. So at number forty-nine, I got the brow, the Anthony Davis. He was um officially named to the prestigious seventy-fifth all-time team. Anthony the Unibrow Davis has been one of the best two-way bigs in league history since coming in as a highly touted prospect out of Kentucky when he was drafted number one overall in the 2012 NBA draft by the then New Orleans Hornets. He has been astounding throughout his career, making the all-star game every year of his career except his rookie season um, and even winning a gold medal before he even stepped foot on an NBA court. He He has led the league in blocks three times in 2014, 2015, and 2018. He's already he already ranks top 50 all time in career blocks, and he was the best player on the Hornets and Pelicans in the seven seasons there. But he didn't have much postseason success, only reaching the second round once in 2018. And also due to a lack of passable um, supporting cast. He would eventually force his way out of New Orleans, which included a hysterical. That's all folks. T-shirt <laughs> to join the Lakers with LeBron and form one of the dynamic duels in the league. In his first season there, he will make All-NBA and All-Defensive First Team to go along with winning the his first NBA title over the Miami Heat in 2020. Um, the only thing that pushes him back is he has sadly missed a chunk of games each season throughout his career. Only playing over 70 games in a season, just twice in his 10 years in the league thus far. He's coming off an injury riddle 2020-21 season, and he wants to redeem himself this season, even though this season he's not playing that great either. He's been very inconsistent, and he's shooting the worst three-point percentage I think, in league history. Um, last year, um, Barkley called him street clothes due to him always missing games. Um, the only reason I don't have him higher is because of injuries, problems, and he's as number one player, he never really helped his team reach deep in the playoffs. Um, and he doesn't have MVP, finals MVP or defense player of the year, which keeps him from reaching higher on this list thus far in his career. But if he does attain one of those And wins more titles, he could easily rise to be top 30, 35 all-time by the time his career is done. He's already an eight-time All-Star. He's won an All-Star Game MVP. Um, He's been a four-time NBA first-team selection, four-time All-Defensive selection, all first-team selections. He's arguably the most talented power forward ever. But if he wants to reach the level of a Garnett, um, Dirk, or Barkley's level... He will need to stay healthy, along with capturing an MVP, finals MVP, or defense player of the year. Um, He surely has the talent um, to pass Dirk and Barkley because of his elite defensive ability, something those two players didn't have on the level of AD. But to pass Garnett, to me, he will need to win a defense player of the year or an MVP, which I don't think he'll ever win, um, or another title to pass the Minnesota legend. But overall, Davis is a unicorn in today's games of unicorns with guys like Kevin Durant, Giannis DeCrumpo, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, you name it. But look for him to skyrocket up this list in the next five to eight years as his career plays out. Anthony Davis is one of the true elite two-way base we've ever seen, and let's appreciate him. Even though he kind of gets me frustrated sometimes, he needs to get tougher, he needs to stay healthy, and... Be the number one option on this Lakers team with an aging LeBron. He needs to be the best player on this team if they're going to be a top one title contender this year. They have not been playing that great this year. So if he could do that, assert himself more, and be the true number option that they need, he could definitely find his way to be a top 30 player of all time. Number 48 now I had Gary Payton. Between 48 to 50 was very tough. I mean, not really. <clears throat> 48 to 50. I, well, obviously, I had Gary Payton. But the next player on my list after Gary Payton, had Paul Pierce at 47. So between Gary Payton, Paul Pierce, and Anthony Davis, it was really hard for me to choose because Anthony Davis, to me, is a better talent than both of those guys. Um, he's better defensively than both of those guys. Well, well, maybe not Gary Payton. Gary Payton's a top five perimeter defender of all time. Um, I was going to put AD over, over Payton, but I was like, the only reason I put Payton over AD, because AD is better offensively than Gary Payton ever was. Gary Payton led his team to the finals as the best player on the team. He he led his team to more postseason success. That's why I put him over Anthony Davis. And Gary Payton was tough, trash talker, stuff like that. That's why I have him over AED. If A. D. can win MVP or Defense Player of the Year or something like that, and and maybe win another title, I'll put him over Gary Payton. But for right now, I got Gary Payton over him. Number 48 I got Gary Payton known as the glove for his intimidated defense, quick hands, and elite defensive instincts. Gary Payton was one of the cockiest and brash-ass talkers in league history, using it to get into his opponent's heads while fueling his intensity. He helped lead the Sonics to the 1996 NBA Finals with his partner in crime, Sean Kemp, but fell to the Jordan-Pippen-led Bulls teams that won a then-NBA record 72 games in the regular season. Payton is considered one of the greatest defenders of all time and arguably the greatest defensive guard ever, being the only point guard to win the defensive player of the year in 1996, because they only had the award since 1982. well, if you consider Sidney Moncrief a point guard, then him and Sidney Moncrief are the two point guards to win Defense Player of the Year. Sidney Moncrieff is more considered a shooting guard. That's why they say Gary yeah, Payne's uh what's it called? The only point guard to win. If they had it during Walclive Frazier's years, I guarantee Wolclyve Frazier wins at least one Defense Player of the Year. But they didn't have it until two years after Wolclyve Frazier retired in nineteen 19- he retired in nineteen eighty. They didn't have it until nineteen eighty two. The only guards I would say that are are on or near Payton's level defensively are Dennis Johnson and Walt Clyde Frazier, who we already spoke about. Um, Payton was one of the toughest defenders on Jordan in the finals. He held him to just 23.7 points on 36% shooting in the last three games of that 1996 final series. He played his 13 to 17 years in NBA in Seattle, where he unfortunately can never capture a title. But he eventually will later go on to win a ring as a role player in 06 as a member of the Miami Heat with Shaquille O'Neal, Dwayne Wade, and Alonzo Mourning, three Hall of Famers right there. He's a nine-time All-Star, nine-time OMBA um, selection, nine-time All-Defensive First Team selection, won a gold medal at the 2000 Sydney Olympics, and led the league in steals in 1996. If you wanted someone who was the ultimate trash-talking competitor and needed a defensive stop, the glove was the one you would call. Gary Payton is number 48 on my nba 75 list. um his defense was just impeccable it was transcendent how great he was defensively and his offense was no slouch either he would give you at least 20 points a game if you needed it, especially in his prime um he was one of the greatest point guards of all time he's kind of underrated when it comes to point guards i say he's either near the end of the top 10 or just outside of the top 10 there's been a lot of great point guards in history ladies and gentlemen point guard position historically is loaded it's loaded, absolutely loaded. But um, the reason I had Paul Pierce, number 47, over him, because Paul Pierce won a championship and the finals MVP, as he's arguably the best player on that team. It was either him or Garnett. Um, That's why I had him over um Peyton. Um, Paul Pierce, known as The Truth, as Sha- Shaquille O'Neal bestowed on Pierce after he dropped 42 on the Lakers in a 112-107 victory over the Lakers in March of 2001. He's one of the clutchest players and greatest scorers of all time. Pierce's career has become somewhat disrespected since he's retired due to his post-career antics. Despite that, Pierce will get help from legends Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett in the offseason of 07, and they will go on to defeat the Lakers in 2008, capturing their first title in 22 years and his only Finals MVP. He has given us iconic moments from the Al Harrington game winner, the classic wheelchair moment in 08 finals, the one on one battles with LeBron over the years or, the, or even the I called game postseason interview with Chris Broussard after he had a game winner against the Atlanta Hawks in game three of the 2015 semifinals. Along with his title and finals MVP, he's a 10 time all star, four time on base selection, one of the three players in Celtics history, to score 20,000 career points, Havlicek and Bird being the others. Um, like He's one of the greatest to ever do it, man. and got to give him respect. Don't call the truth if you can't handle it. <laughs> Don't call him. Don't call the truth if you can't handle it. And that's what he was. The truth. I was really debating uh, this guy too. If Paul Pierce should be over him. Kevin McHale at 46. But I was like, ah, uh, I can't. Because I, I was asking my friends. Kevin McHale or Paul Pierce. It was like between 46 to 49. Kevin McHale, Paul Pierce, Gary Payton, and Anthony Davis. I was like... Kevin McHale might be the best of all of them as of right now. Anthony Davis could pass Kevin McHale, though. Um, but right now, Kevin McHale have a 46, arguably the best post player ever, arguably behind only rivaled by Olajuwon with his array of different moves and impeccable footwork in the post. He had an awkward, lanky 6'10 frame, which made him a tough cover to go along with his shooting skills. He played a key role for the Celtics in his rookie year in 1981 when they were going on to win the championship. He would continue excelling in the bench role, winning back-to-back six-man of the year awards in '84 and '85. He had the second-highest points scored in the game in Celtics history, 56, behind his Celtics teammate Larry Bird. Um, and then which broke Michael's record just nine days later, and since has been broken by Jason Tatum as well, which he scored 60 against the Spurs last season. He would win three titles alongside Hall of Famers Dennis Johnson, Robert Parrish, and Bird. He used his physical gifts to to excellent advantage during his 13-year career with the Boston Celtics, becoming one of the best inside players the game has ever seen and one of the greatest front courts in NBA history alongside Burden Parrish. Former NBA coach Hubby Brown stated he became the most difficult low-post player to defend once he made the catch in the history of the league. He was totally unstoppable because of his quickness, the diversification of his moves, and the long arms that gave him an angle to release the ball. Over a taller man or or more explosive jumper. McHale ranks among the Celtics' top five all-time in points, games, and field goal percentage. He's a seven-time All-Star, on Bay first team in 1987, six-time All-Defensive team member, and has his number 32 retired by the story Celtics franchise. Why well, do I have him over Paul Pierce? Because he was a better defender. Paul Pierce was never the All-Defensive player that Kevin McHale was. That's simply it. Um... Yes, he won more titles, too. You could say that. Um, but he had Larry Bird. But he was the second-best player on those teams. Paul Pierce still had Hall of Famers, too. He should have won more titles. They should have won more than one championship. It was him, Garnett, Ray Allen. So I'm not going to discredit Kevin McHale for having Larry Bird. No, it's not like Paul Pierce didn't have help, either. He had Ray Allen, Rondo, and Garnett. Those are three Hall of Famers right there. I think Rondo's going to make the Hall of Fame. So, But none of them are on Larry Bird's level, but still. I gotta give Kevin McHale credit. Number 45 now, Jason Kidd, one of the best point guards in NBA history. Known for his uncanny vision and creativity with his passing, as if he had eyes in the back of his head. He was a strong, big guard at 6'4". He was able to see overall defense, helping him become second all-time in assists with 12,091. And he was an elite defender, second all-time in steals, 2,684 steals. Only behind John Stockton in both, cat- both categories his triple-double machine in his prime 107 in his career good for fourth all time behind Westbrook Oscar and Magic in that order he was a difference maker the moment he came into the league with the Dallas Mavericks as the second overall pick in 1994 winning co-rookie of the year in 1994-95 with his contemporary Grant Hill he would never lead the Mavericks to the playoffs in his first stint there but would eventually join the Suns and become the best point guard in the league he became a big star in Phoenix and become an even bigger star in the New Jersey Nets, where he was traded to in July 2001 for Stephon Marbury and others. He would lead the Nets to back-to-back finals appearances, doubling their win total in his first season in 0-2 and 0-3, their two most successful seasons, in their 45 years since the NBA-ABA merger. He would finish second in MVP voting in 2 behind Duncan and won nine playoff series as a net, losing just once in the first round. He would force his way to the Mavericks in a trade in 08 and eventually win a title as a role player in 2011 alongside Dirk Nowitzki and the crew. He was made fun of by commentators early on in his career, calling him Ace and Kid because of his lack of a jumper. But he would eventually get the last laugh, um, ending up as third on the all-time threes when um, he retired. And now he's currently 11th all-time in threes. And he retired as one of the best passers and floor generals of all time. Jason Kidd was amazing, ladies and gentlemen. When they talk about great point guards of all time, I I rarely hear him talked about anymore. They need to mention him. He's up there among the greatest point guards of all time. He's now the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic, who's a big um, guard himself at 6'8". And Jason Kidd's trying to mold him and make him a better overall player. Jason Kidd is number 45 on my NBA 75 list. And I had him over McHale because he was the driving force of those Nets teams that made those finals despite losing. He lost to Kobe and Shaq in 2 And he lost to a prime Tim Duncan that had Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker. They were young, but they were still great players. And you had David Robinson, who was on his last legs. So he lost to teams that had Hall of Famers. He lost to Kobe and Shaq, who are universally regarded as top 10 players of all time. I can't blame you for losing to them. Shaq in his prime and Kobe in his prime. I can't blame you. And then Duncan at his absolute apex, coming off his second, um, his back-to-back MVP. And he had a quadruple double in that finals. So I can't blame Jason Kidd for losing those finals. I got to give him kudos for leading his team to those finals, appearances, And they were terrible. Every team he went to, he made better. The Phoenix Suns made the West Conference finals, I believe. Deep playoff runs. Same thing for the um, Nets. They were terrible before they got Jason Kidd. Then he goes to the Mavericks, back to the second stint. They go on eventually to win a championship. I got to give him the Knicks. They, that year, his last year in the league, they won 54 games. And he was a good role player, being a spot-up shooter for them. So I got to give him credit. Every, pretty much everywhere he went, he made an impact on winning. He wasn't the greatest scorer. His field goal percentage wasn't great. That's why he's kind of lower on my list. If he was a better scorer and a higher field goal percentage, he arguably beats top 35, top 30. Top 25 pushing. in. If he was a better scorer, he'd be top 25 because he was a great all-around defender, rebounder, passer, everything. He just wasn't the greatest scorer. But overall, Jason K was an amazing point guard, and he's number 45 on my NBA 75 list. Next up on my list, number 24, Patrick Ewing. The ultimate warrior, arguably the greatest New York Knicks of all time. Ewing was one of the best shooting centers to ever play the game, with a signature turnaround jumper of his while also being a defensive force on the other end. His knees, unfortunately, sapped his athleticism from his college and early NBA years. But he was still one of the top centers in the league. Even though he would never win a title in New York, he and the fan base have been craving for since the Reed-Fraser days due to Jordan um, always beating him in the playoffs, denying him, and also LaJuan beating him in the 94 finals, being in the way. He's an 11-time All-Star. He's a member of the 1992 Dream Team gold team gold medal team seven time on base selection three time all defensive team selection would have been more but there were so many great centers during that time that were dominant defensively he played in the same era as david robinson and the cocky on both perennial all-time great defenders he was a 1986 rookie of the year a member of the 50th and 75th anniversary teams he left the game as the next all-time leading scorer with 23,665 career points which he still is the all-time leading scorer and i don't think anyone will be passing him as the franchise leading score anytime soon. He is—he um, re- left the Knicks not just that's the all-time leading score, but rebounds ten thousand seven hundred fifty-nine, blocks two thousand seven hundred fifty-eight, and steals one thousand sixty-one. He was a true competitor and had the heart of a champion. Um, Ewing, Ewing—I feel like his place in history is because he didn't win a title. I feel like he kind of gets disrespected a little bit sometimes. I have him number forty-four. Some people have him um, around the range. I have him yeah in the forties. I think this is the right range for him. Um, you can't really be top 30 if you don't have an MVP or a title to your name. Anybody that's in the top 30 in NBA history, realistically, has titles or an MVP at this point in NBA history. And it's going to get, as more great players come, it's, some guys are going to get knocked down off the, li- on, the list, on the list, and some guys are going to rise up. Ewing, I don't know how. I feel like... I don't know. I feel like he, as time goes on, as more great players come that win MVPs and titles. I feel like he's going to go down a little bit. But I feel like his impact on both ends of the court is going to help him stay up there among the greats. Um, even though there's, when I look at the list of all-time greats, like top 100 is even hard to, there's so many great players are in the top 100. I'm like, yo, NBA has had so many great players. Some guys are even outside the top 100 and i look like at the top 100 lists of all time. I'm like, yo, this guy's been all star at least five times. That's crazy. NBA has been loaded with greats. To even make the top 50 is hard, let alone top, and top 75 is hard. He only makes it number 44, though, on my NBA 75 list, a true warrior of the game. 43, I got George Mikan, known as Mr. Basketball, the first true star and big man in NBA history. Mikan was the first dominant player who helped lead the then Minneapolis Lakers to five NBA titles, 49, 50, and 52 to 54. He also won two NBL championships in 1947-48 and, and won the NBL MVP in 1948. He's the creator of the Mike and drill, a drill where a player stands directly in front of the basket and shoots the ball off the backboard with his right hand and switches back and forth, catches it and puts it up the same shot with his left hand and then his right and then his left again, repeating the routine again and again. He helped keep basketball alive in his early years, Standing six foot ten, two hundred forty five pounds. He redefined the game from one that had been controlled and dominated by small, quick players into a sport that would be ruled by giants for decades to come. He helped anchor the first dynasty of the NBA, the Lakers. In the 40s and 50s he's a four-time all-star and all-star mvp six-time all baa slash nba first team two-time all nbl first team nbl slash nba scoring leader from 1948 to 51 and led the league in rebounds in 1953 mikey was a dominating force in the league's infant stages but one thing's for sure is that if he wasn't the star he was who knows if the league could have flustered into the global global brand it has become today he was he was named the greatest player of the first half of the 20th century in 1950. Mike and George Mike and he's the hardest player I feel like the place because he played in the, the very first years of NBA just like Paul Arizin and Bob Cousy and stuff like that. The game has changed so much since. Um he he didn't look didn't look very coordinated or freakishly athletic like the bigs we see today. Maybe he wouldn't even be starting today. But if you give him the training we have today and regimen, the sneakers, stuff like that i think he could be a solid starting center all-star type center in today's league you gotta be fair to these greats greats are great in their era if it was that easy everybody would have done it so i had george mikey and mr basketball here the first true star in nba history and first great big man in nba history at number 43 on my nba 75 list and i have him over patrick ewing because he was the best player on all those championship teams he won he won what five championships i believe or four he was the best player on every single one of those teams it wasn't even debatable and they didn't have the mvp award then um for the nba but best believe he would have won at least two two to three of those awards 42 now have bob mcadoo he was kevin durant before kevin durant he was one of the best scoring and shooting forwards in nba history he had won the best starts to a career ever, garnering Rookie of the Year honors in 1973. He won three consecutive scoring championships from the 74 to 76. An MVP award in 1975 where he averaged a whopping 34.5 points per game, 14 rebounds, 2.2 assists, 1.2 steals, and 2.1 blocks per game. All in his first four years. He's won the best shooting bigs of all time. He won the first of his three scoring titles in only his second year in the NBA. In 73 74, the same year he led the league with a 54% field goal percentage. His star would slowly fade, though, sadly, in the middle of his career due to being on losing teams, but it was reignited in the early 80s during the Magic Johnson led Lakers, where he would win two titles in 82 and 85 and over the 14 seasons. He scored 18,787 points, on averaging 22.1 points per game. He was a five time NBA All Star, shooting 50% from the field and 75% from the foul line. Scoring in double fitter figures in all but one season of his career. He's also two time on base selection. And I'm just going to say this outside the NBA, he won two Euro League titles in 87 88, a Euro League final, four MVP in 88, and it was a top score in 1988. He was a true bucket getter. He's severely underrated due to being on losing teams early in his career, but he was one hell of a player on both ends. Dolph Shades, to me, was the original stretch four, but. Um, when it comes to like seeing it closer near the modern era, even though um, Bob McAdoo was the first one like the modern era to show us what it was, will come later on, such as seeing guys later on like Dirk Nowitzki, Carl Anthony Towns, Nikola Jokic, and so forth. He was a f- he was like the first prototype stretch big. He was six nine about yeah six nine. He was just a lethal force. He was one of the best scorers of all time and gets his rightful place here on my list at number forty two. Number 41, I have Clyde Drexler, known as the Glide, for his high fly and jet-like explosive swoops toward the basket and ferocious slams on opposing defenders. Drexler was um, amongst the best shooting guards of his era, probably second behind Jordan. He was the leader of the Blazers team that made the finals in 1990 and 92, coming up short to Isaiah's Pistons in 90 and Jordan's Bulls in 92. He was a member of the 92 Dream Gold Medal team, and he spent 11 and a half years with the Blazers before eventually getting traded to the Rockets in 95, teaming up with the great Olajuwon and Sam Cassell. The Rockets would go on to win the title that year, being the Shaq and Penny Hardaway-led young Magic squad in five games, helping Drexler win his first and only NBA title. And it's fitting, too, he won his title in Houston, the college he went to with Olajuwon, where he starred on the 5 fi- slam JAMA teams of the early 80s. He's also a 10-time All-Star, 5-time NBA selection, and as his number 22 retired by the Rockets and Blazers. He was one of the finest high flyers and all-around players in league history. So, y'all probably wondering why do I have Bob McAdoo over Patrick Ewing? He won an MVP. To me, that's very important. And also, three scoring titles. Are you kidding me? three straight, and you were just beginning in the league, imagine if he had better teams around him If injuries didn't ruin him. He arguably, even he said it in a a not too long ago recent Q&A interview, he could have been top 10 all time. Yep. If he would have stayed in Buffalo and won like a title or two more added to those Lakers titles, he would have been top 10 all time right now. Bob McAdoo changed the game. He was Kevin Durant before Kevin Durant. He was a true unicorn. That's why I have him over Patrick Ewing, over Jason Kidd. Um, over Kevin McHale, he was just different. Over Paul Pierce, he's better than all those guys to me. Um, You average 34.5 points per game in a season? Are you kidding me? And he wasn't just a offensive guy who didn't play defense. He averaged two blocks per game as well and gave you a steal, over, steal per game too. He was a really good defender as well. That's why I have him over guys like Ewing, Pierce, Gary Payton. He was a better offensive player and he was still a really good defender um Clyde Jexler the only reason I had Clyde Jackson over him Clyde Jexler was a 10-time all-star just like I think a little bit more yeah more times than uh, Bob McAdoo and he won a championship um he, and he was the second best player on that championship team When Bob McAdoo won his championship he wasn't the top two option he was like a third or fourth option he had probably like a he was a coming off the bench um he had Kareem, Magic, and Worthy That, but that's why I had Clyde Jackson over him because he was the second-best player behind Elijah one on that title team. Forty now have Willis Reed, the captain of the New York Knicks teams in the 60s and 70s, helped lead the Knicks to their two and only NBA titles. Um, in 1970-1973, capturing both of those finals MVPs, there have been many thrown baskets scored throughout NBA history, but there have been few more renowned um, than the two Willis Reed made in the opening minutes of the Game 7 of the 1970 Finals prior to the game 7 on May 8th, 1970 at 7.30pm Reed, the captain and main force of the multi-talented New York Knicks teams that also featured Frazier and Dave DeBuscher, was apparently sidelined with a severe thigh injury Um, that was a torn muscle that threatened his team's chances to win the championship 15 minutes later he became even more of a legend Um, and the Knicks were on their way to their first title, he had two key baskets um that really lift their spirits up in that game. Lifted their spirits up. In the first four games of the finals against the West, the Jerry West, Will Chamberlain, and Elgin Baylor led Lakers. He scored 37, 29, 38, and 23 points respectively, while averaging 15 rebounds as well. At 7.34 p.m., Reed was limping onto the court. The crowd went wild, while his teammates' confidence returned with a vengeance. He somehow managed to jump, out-jump Will Chamberlain on the opening tip and scored the team's first basket on a shot from the top of the key, and then he scored another second basket from 20 feet out. He did not score again, as he already lifted the spares and confidence of his teammates by hitting those two shots. Frazier was and a great example of what Reed did for them, as he was going to have a historic finals performance, finishing with 36 points, 19 assists, and 7 rebounds. But it was Reed who gave his team the extra board of energy they needed, being the heart, soul, and backbone on those championship Knicks teams besides his titles and finals mvps he's also an mvp 1970 uh seven-time all-star all-star mvp in 1970 five-time on base selection the 1965 rookie of the year and all defensive first team selection he would have had more if they had to award his whole career um but overall he was a true leader and a champion and that's why he's number 40 on my list the only reason only reason Willis reed i think is underrated when it comes to great centers they don't really talk about they only talk about like the same top five centers: Wilt, Russell, Shaq, Kareem, Halajanwan. You don't really hear about Dave Robinson and Willis Reed and Moses Malone anymore. Willis Reed only played ten years. That really hurt his like all-time ranking and his career totals. That's why I think he's lower. If he would have had like five more years and more stats to his career totals, maybe another title to his name, and if he could have stayed healthier longer, maybe the MVP, he easily could have been top twenty-five of all time. He was great on both ends of the court. And if they would have had all defensive team selections his whole career, he would have had those to his name too. But he still gets his rightful place on my list at number 40. Another underrated great center, an undersized center, as well as like Willis Reed. Willis Reed was on like six foot nine; He wasn't that big. Same with number 39, Dave Cowens. Nicknamed Big Red because of his bright red hair. Cowens was an underside 6'9 center who played with intense fire and tenacity. Playing in the era of Julius Irvin, Chamberlain, and Pete, Pistol Pete Maravich, Cowens didn't possess the flash and glamour of those high-profile superstars of his era. Instead, it was his, his consistency, unselfishness, versatility, and energy that established him as one of the most solid, respected centers in recent NBA history. He was an unlucky hero in a sport dominated by men of greater size and natural ability. His red-haired left-handed, the le- the red-haired left the red-haired left-hander, excuse me, relied on hustle and heart to achieve NBA greatness. His determination helped to resurrect a Celtics dynasty that was presumed dead after the departure of the legend Bill Russell, helping lead them to two championships in 74 and 76. At his 1991 Hall of Fame induction, he stated, quote, I never thought of myself as a superstar. I represent the working class of the NBA. I'm honored they've, they've selected me because I can name a whole lot of guys who were better than Dave Cowens. You have to play with the right people and get picked by the right team. Let's face it, I was pretty lucky. He wasn't just lucky, he also was a great player, despite playing with other great players such as Havlicek, Joe Joe Wright, Cedric Maxwell, and others. Cowan's is the MVP in 1973. Um, eight-time All-Star, All-Star MVP, um, four-time All-Defensive Selection, the 1971 Rookie of the Year, and has his number 18 retired by the Celtics, one of the greatest franchises in sports history. The heavy number retired by the Celtics is a big deal. He was the ultimate hustle player. Any coach would love to have on their team, and he makes it at number 39 on my list. Y'all probably wonder why he's so high. I don't know how he's. I don't know how he's not top 50 on some list. He's an MVP. He won titles as one of the best player, either the best player or the second best player on that team. Whether you think he's better or John Havlicek, I think John Havlicek's better. But he was definitely one of the best players on those teams. You got like you gotta give him credit. He was a great defender. He just was a amazing player. He had a mid-range jumper. He had a handle he could put on the floor. He He's a good passer. He just was the overall team player. Maybe his statistics don't pop out as much because he didn't average 30 points per game like some centers or 28. Give you 28 and 20. But he still gave you a double-double. And his energy, he never failed to give you 100% effort every single night. And he, I just had to give him the number 39 spot. He was a true winner and a hustle player. And he helped his teams win and was an MVP of the league. And he's one of one of only few players in league history to lead his team in five statistical categories. I don't know how I forgot that here. The only other players to ever do that are him, Scottie Pippen, um, LeBron James, and I think Giannis Tendokounmpo. I think those are the only four play and Kevin Garnett, the only five players in league history to lead their respective teams in five statistical categories. So shout out to you, Dave Cowens, one of the greatest to ever do it. Number 38, I got Elvin Hayes. One of the most talented, durable, and productive players in league history, the Big E. Hayes used was, was his signature turnaround jumper and aggressive defense to secure his place amongst the greats of the game. He was an all-star for each of his first 12 years, scoring 27,313 career points, 11th all-time in league history, and grabbed 16,279 rebounds, which is good for 4th all-time in NBA history. He was immensely popular with fans. They appreciated his dominating style of play as well as his persona off the court. Um, but he was less endearing to coaches and teammates. Um, critics felt he had an attitude problem that sometimes short-circuited the teams he played for and probably prevented the Bullets from repeating. But he formed a front-court nightmare where his teammate was unselled. ultimately making three finals appearances, capturing the 1978 title, and seven games over the Supersonics, the only championship in Washington's franchise history. During that 78 run, Hayes averaged 28.1 points, and 12.1 rebounds per game in 21 playoff games, and set an NBA Finals record for most offensive rebounds in a game with 11 in a May 27, 1979 game against the Supersonics. He's an NBA champion, 12-time All-Star, 6-time All-NBA selection, 2-time All-Defensive selection. Would have had more if they had the award longer. Um, Led the league in scoring in 1969, um, and led the league in rebounds twice, 1970-74. He's one of the most underrated greats and forwards in league history, who was a lethal scorer, strong rebounder, and disciplined defender, and he makes it number 38 on my list. Um, Hayes could have been higher if he had MVP to his name, and if he had, like, when did he come into the league? I forgot. I really forgot when he came into the league, but I forgot if he had more all-defensive team selections, too. It depends on when he came to the league, but... And if he had more titles, if he had another championship to his name, he probably would be from number 38 on my list to probably, probably top 30, probably top 30, but he still makes it rightfully here at number 38 on my NBA 75 list. Another current player in today's league, number 37, Brody, Russell Westbrook, known as Brody and Mr. Triple Double. Westbrook is the most athletic point guard in NBA history, ladies and gentlemen. And he's one of the most polarizing figures to ever step foot on NBA court. One of the most, Among the most scrutinized players in history, due to his unapologetic attitude and always going 110%, sometimes forcing the issue offensively, which has led to inefficiency and high volume and turnovers. He didn't have a great showing in his one and only finals appearance, finals appearance thus far in his career in 2012 with the Thunder, along with KD and Harden. Even Maddie Johnson said, quote, that was the worst point guard in the championship finals I've seen. Despite all the criticism, he and KD formed one of the most feared duos in the league until KD's departure in 2016. They will sadly never reach the finals again together as a duo, with the closest being in 2016 in the conference finals against the Warriors, where the Thunder blew a 3-1 lead. Durant will join the Warriors, and it will be the Westbrook solo show in 2016-17, where he will go on to win MVP, averaging triple-double for a season, where he averaged 31.6 points, 10.7 rebounds, and 10.4 assists per game. The first since Oscar Robertson to average triple double in a season. He has the most triple doubles of all time with 184. When I at the time when I wrote this article, I don't know if he has more since. Um, wherever he, he has gotten since that time. I've released this article on November 11th. Um, with LeBron being the closest active player with 99. He's the next closest. That's crazy. Westbrook holds records for most triple doubles in a season, 42. Most consecutive triple doubles with 11. How do you get 11 straight triple-doubles? That's insane. He's the only player to average a triple-double for three consecutive seasons, and he has done it four times in his career overall. He's also the only player to ever win the scoring title, MVP award, and average triple-double in the same season, and the first player in NBA history with multiple 20-rebound, 20-assist career games. He's a nine-time All-Star, two-time All-Star MVP in 2015 and 16. He won the MVP in 2017, He's a nine-time NBA selection, led the league in scoring twice in 2015 and 2017, and he's led the league in assists three times in 2018, 19, and 2021. The list of records Westbrook owns is a laundry list, but the one thing he has yet to capture is an NBA title. He has been on three teams since he was traded from the Thunder, Houston Rockets, Washington Wizards, and now the LA Lakers, and he's now in his hometown Los Angeles with AED, LeBron, and Carmelo to try to capture his first title. Catching a title, to me, would do wonders for his legacy and hush many of the naysayers, naysayers such as Skip Bayless. However you want to put it, love him or hate him, he never cheats us fans with his energy toward the game and is a true 10-setter, from his style off the court to his unique game on it. Salute to Westbrook. He makes it number 37 on my list. The only reason Westbrook's not higher because he's really inefficient. His decision-making isn't the best. He's not a great shooter. Um, there's a lot of, he's one of, he's one, he's probably the most flawed NBA great we've ever had. He's not a great shooter, not the best decision maker. Um, yeah, it's just any, yeah, it's just it's his decision making and his lack of a reliable jumper is why he's down on this list. But overall, he never cheeses with his effort What he's done this league. You can't, you can't replace triple doubles. Like, and if he wins a championship to cap off all the naysayers, He's going to rise from number 37 on my list to like top 30. That title will do wonders for his legacy, especially if he's a big part of why the Lakers win. If he's like a top three option with AD and LeBron, if he wants a title, it's going to help his legacy tremendously. So I have the number 37 on my NBA 75 list. Number 36 now, I have Steve Nash, the wizard behind the famous Mike D'Antoni, seven seconds or less offense in the mid 2000s to early 2010s. He formed a lethal pick-and-roll duel with Amari Doudemire that was virtually unguardable. He first came into the league in 1996 as an unheralded, unathletic guard from Santa Clara as the 15th overall pick in the famous '96 NBA draft by the Phoenix Suns. He struggled his first few seasons in the league, trying to adjust to the speed and athleticism of the players, but he seemed to find his stride and niche once he was traded to the Mavericks, where he joined fellow legend Dirk Nowitzki. They both struggled to adjust to the league their first few years, but eventually become an offensive dynamo, forming a devastating pick and pop, with both being able to shoot the ball exceptionally well. They're among the greatest shooters of all time, and those are two guys in the 50-40-90 club. He would eventually get traded to the Suns, where he would have the best years of his career, including winning back-to-back MVPs in 05 and 06 controversial MVP especially the second one the first one he deserved he turned around the Sonics team that won just 29 games the year before and led them to the best record in the NBA with a 62-20 record in 2005. He was an efficient shooter from all over the court a wizard passer master of controlling the pace of a game and he was a tremendous teammate and leader of galvanizing his troops he helped lead the Suns to four conference finals appearances but unfortunately, never reached the NBA Finals due to having to deal with the Duncan Spurs and Kobe Lakers being in the way of him reaching the biggest stage. He's one of the 12 players in league history to win back-to-back um, MVPs. Um, with Russell, Wilt, um, Kareem, Bird, Moses, Magic, Jordan, Duncan, LeBron, Stephen, and Giannis being the other recipients to have win back-to-back MVPs. Um, he's a four-time member of the exclusive 50-40-90 club, like I stated before, the most seasons ever in the 50-40-90 club. And he's among the best free-throw shooters of all time, being a career 90% free-throw shooter. I think only Steve Nash is above, I mean Steve Nash, Stephen Curry is above him, and maybe Mark Price, I think. Aside from his MVPs, he's an eight-time All-Star, seven-time on nba selection, five-time assist leader from 05 to 07, 2010, and 2011. He was never able to obtain that elusive ring that all players strive for, but he was able to revolutionize the game of basketball and go down as a kid from Canada who would wound up becoming one of the greatest NBA players of all time, helping to inspire future Canadians such as Andrew Wiggins, Tristan Thompson, and so on to play in the NBA and make the NBA. He was a revolutionary of the game. And without Steve Nash and that Suns team changing the game of basketball, I don't think we have the era of basketball we've been seeing for the last like seven eight years now with the three point revolution with Steph Curry and them um Steve Nash was like the originator of that he was like the Steph Curry before Steph Curry he didn't shoot as much as Steph Curry if he did he probably would have been I don't know if he would have been as great of a shooter as Steph Curry but he could really shoot that ball he was like Steph Curry if Steph Curry was on restrictions from shooting Steve Nash didn't have the green light like that he didn't shoot as much as Steph Curry and if he did he would be among the all-time leaders in three points three-pointers made He was that elite at shooting the ball and very efficient. That's the reason I have him over Westbrook, because he has two MVPs. And he was just a better decision maker with the ball. He didn't make knucklehead decisions doing erratic passes. He was way more efficient. He could shoot the ball better. He was more reliable from the free throw line, from three-point range, and in clutch decision-making time. That's why I think Steve Nash is a greater all-time point guard and player than Russell Westbrook. People might get used to the flashiness. Oh, Russell Westbrook's more athletic and stuff. Nah, Steve Nash is the better player in point guard, better playmaker. Even though Westbrook's a good playmaker, Steve Nash is one of the great. Steve Nash is a top five passer of all time, ladies and gentlemen. And he he needs to get his respect here. He's now coaching the Brooklyn Nets, trying to get them to a championship, something he he didn't get as a player. But he rightfully gets his spot here as number thirty six on my all time NBA seventy five greatest players of all time. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for part one of my NBA 75 episode series. Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed this episode where I really broke down some of the greatest players of all time. And I hope you guys stay tuned for part two where I'm getting to even the wrestling players on my list as we get to higher and higher the rankings of where I rank some of these all-time greats. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. You can catch me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for part two of my episode. So it's your host, DJ Hamilton, and I'll see y'all next time.